Yeah. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. The 12-gauge double-barreled Remington, S-Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right, shop smart. Shop S-Mart. You got that? Now I swear. The next one of you primates even touches me. Talk about how I get back home. Two minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of five in this, the month of March in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming by and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of uh, Rockwood on 1K UFO. Pull back from the abyss right there. And I did moments ago. It is uh, Tuesday morning and good morning to you. This is the Rick Emerson Cavalcade of Whimsy and Amusements. Thank you for coming by. Uh, if you would like to join us today, and why wouldn't you? 503 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you'd like to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, ruminations, ponderings, whatever it is you might have on this Tuesday morning, uh, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah uh, with an H at kufo.com. Tim at kufo.com. Or Richie with a T. At KUFO.com. Speaking of Richie, later on today we're going to check with Richie Bristol, our intrepid PA, and see where he is on booking the, uh, A, the childhood friend of John Wayne Gacy, who said that Gacy loved jokes and to laugh. Uh, B, the guy who does the speed pimping, not pimping. Oh, I pimping. thought you were joking. Really? Oh, we're totally booking the speed pimping guy. Oh, come on. You know what speed is. <laughs> how, can he, he's, how can he not? He's wearing a fedora. And he speaks the language look, of love. He did look rather pimpish in his picture. There, he speaks the international language at a more rapid pace than uh, than our earth brains can comprehend. So John Wayne Gacy's childhood friend, the speed pimpin' guy, and uh, and then that guy that makes the uh, sex toy that plugs into your into your iPod. But here's the thing about it: is I feel like I got to create some whole separate, hermetically sealed segment of the program where we do. Terrible interviews. Not terrible. I meant interesting. I meant unconventional. But basically terrible. Because those are all interviews that come out of that radio TV interview report thing where they're just pitching you just like like grade Z guests. Just guests that couldn't possibly be booked through any other service and they end up in the radio TV interview report. 
So I gotta, we got to create some segment where we kind of isolate them from the rest of the program so they don't infect the other segments with their filth. But still, how can you not interview uh, you know the, a guy who's written about the fact that he you know that I think he sat next to John Wayne Gacy for a year in math class or something? I mean that really is America to write such a book. Anyway, so we'll uh, we'll check in on the status of that uh, coming up in today's program. Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, the real one, the actual Tommy Lee, Tim. That's incredible. Not a pseudo Lee. Uh, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, as well as Sully Erna from Godsmack. We'll be uh, joining us here in the program because Crewfest 2 was announced yesterday. KUFO announced that Crewfest 2 is going on the road this year to bring rock and roll to the masses. Including that, I didn't know this, I guess uh, for Crewfest 2 this year, I guess they're going to be performing Dr. Feelgood in its entirety, which is righteous. Oh, so this is Crewfest is in Motley Crew and not rowing in a boat? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Wow. Yes. That's what I thought when I picked Crew Fest. Oh, Everyone oh. get in the show. Did you really just make a crew reference? I did. Look at you, Harvard. All right. I didn't go to Harvard. <laughs> I went to BU. <laughs> and only for a year. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I wish I knew more crew terms so I could continue this sort of... I can continue the punning. All I know is crew and shell. And then is there a batsman? No, that's cricket. Is there a snorter? That's cricket, too. Why do I know all these cricket terms? What the hell is wrong with strange. This? All right, let's stop right there. We're ending this now. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's Tuesday. Bastard. Thank you for coming by. It's 503-733-2970. So coming up later on today, Motley Crue, drummer, and uh, legend extraordinaire Tommy Lee, as well as uh, Sully Erner from Godsmack. We'll talk about uh, Crew Fest 2. Tickets, uh, pre-tickets, uh, pre-sale tickets have been on sale for a while now, but the uh, the, the tour is going to be rolling through. They're going to be do- doing Dr. Feelgood uh, in its entirety. And plus, he's Tommy Lee. So. Anyway, I mean, have you ever spoken really with Tommy Lee before? I have not. I've never actually spoken with anybody. They're old friends Crew. going way we back. We go way back, sir. <laughs> Um, so uh, we used to knit cable knit sweaters together in the off season while waiting for the shell to be polished in the uh, in the college community center. All right, making blankets for homeless cats, and that as well. So no, no, the answer to that is no. Uh, I had years ago. Um, I had sort of an aborted interview with Nikki Six. I was supposed to be uh, I had an interview set up with Nikki Six at one point to promote something or other. I think it's when they. I think it's after they booted Vince Neil out of the band and they had the John Karabi guy coming in. And I was supposed to be interviewing uh, Nikki Six, and then it was like he just never showed up. I mean, unsurprisingly, maybe maybe it was just like I should have expected at that point. Like I kept waiting, kept staring at the phone, waiting for a call that would never come, just to get, and kind of repeatedly promising the audience, "No, no, no, Nikki Six will be on the phone any minute now," and that never happened. So I think subsequent to that, I think they kind of cleaned up their act. But um, anyway, so that's coming up later on today. Also, one random on-air caller today will win a pair of tickets to see Tesla April fifth at the Roseland Theater. Tickets on sale now at all tickets, West Outlets, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Tesla coming to the Roseland uh, April 5th. We'll have a pair of Tesla tickets to one random on-air caller today. What else is coming up? Uh, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop joins us from Los Angeles today where there's both Anna Nicole Smith and Lindsay Lohan news. It's like it's 2007 all over again. So I guess Lindsay Lohan had some warrant for her arrest. But now she doesn't. Because she's so boring now. That's what I'm saying. It's like I almost don't even want to talk about it. But it's Jim Roop, and it's and who knows? Maybe they'll be you know maybe between now and then she'll do something stupid. But it, her agent will tell her to show up her extremities at a <laughs> at a gas station or something. Her extremities. <laughs> I think her extremities are like your fingers, unless there's something about her that I don't know. Unless she's just not quite as taut as she used to be. Um, but it, it, I guess she went from having a warrant issued to her arrest 
for her arrested to not having the warrant anymore with with no actual interesting stop at arrested and thrown into jail. Wait, did she go to jail at some point, Lindsay Lohan? She did for like two hours. That doesn't really count. Mm -mm. All right. Uh, he's also going to be talking about Anna Nicole Smith, because I guess that Howard K. Stern guy and also her doctor. The psychiatrist turned herself in. Really? Yeah. Are they all going to the clink? Sure, why not? Fantastic. Excellent. All right. Hey, did you read that story about a guy in, uh, I think it was a guy in a Philadelphia jail, where they thought it would be a real swell idea to put him in the same cell as the guy he testified against to get a lighter sentence? No, I didn't see that. <laughs> the best story ever. Oh, and, and it's the best kind of story, because you don't have to feel sorry for anybody. Because he testified against this guy, but that's because he was like a murdering douchebag, too. And so he's like, you know, he, he turned himself into the man, and he's like, what can I do to get a lighter sentence? They said, why don't you testify against your, your compatriot in crime? Sure, no problem. So he goes on the stand and just rats out his friend like a weasel. Then they both get jail time. You know, the, uh, you know, the snitch gets, you know, less. But they stick him in jail, and then, oh, wah, wah, let's put him in the same cell. And then they came back later, and the cell was, quote, a wash in the man's blood. Oh. Fantastic is what that is. It's kind of like a self-cleaning oven. That's, that's a, problem a heartwarming just, story. It really is, Tim. It just, that's where society sort of takes care of itself. Some messes just, some messes just clean themselves up. Um, in any event. So Tommy Lee coming up today. Sully from Godsmack. Don Taylor from Film.com. Who's written a great piece about that new Spielberg uh, thing. I guess, I guess Spielberg's doing so, uh, he's do, doing the biopic or biopic. Biopic makes it sound like you're some sort of a cyborg person, but it's but you but you've got like an ocular implant that allows you to see for 15 miles. Anyways, he's gonna be doing some Abraham uh, Lincoln, you know, like the story of Abe Lincoln. There's a whole discussion about who can play Abe Lincoln and blah 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 blah. And plus, I think Dawn is doing some thing with her husband where they're both gonna sit down and watch Twilight. Like if they're gonna watch Twilight together. Oh, and have then, they not seen it? And the writer, he said, she said, piece about it. I don't think either. I think they've successfully avoided it. You saw it, didn't you? Yeah, I think I'm going to buy that movie. It's terrible. It is so terrible. It's it unbelievably is... bad. Terrible and filmed in Portland. Yeah, it's completely ridiculously awful, and I can't wait to buy it. Yeah. I think it comes out on the 21st. It comes out, uh, yeah, it comes out Tuesday, a week from today. Mm -hmm. I, think I saw so. it in Redbox. Really? Did you? Mm -hmm. And it was, wait, what? I saw the movie in Redbox. Oh, I thought it hadn't come out yet. No, I think I think it's coming soon. I think it's next Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 completely irredeemable. There's nothing good about that movie at all. But that's kind of what makes it so satisfying. I remember watching Twilight with Lara because she had read all she read all four books. We she plows her way all through the series and then just to sort of and by the time she got to about halfway through the third Twilight book. She had lost any sort of a pretense that the books weren't crap. I mean, she'd just sort of come to the realization, like, she wasn't even lying to herself anymore. She's just like, I know these are terrible, but i, I got to finish it. You know, you, she was within striking distance of the end, so she had to wrap it up. And then she's like, okay, now we got to see the movie, and then I can be done. And I don't think she's going to see any of, the other, any of the other Twilight films, which aren't going to be filmed here anyway, so it doesn't really matter. You don't have to feel like you're sort of supporting, uh, you know, the Portland, you know, the, the art world or whatever. But, um... But so we were watching that movie, and I remember we got about 20, 25 minutes into it, and we realized that movie just has no calories in it whatsoever. You're watching Twilight, and you know what it is? Watching Twilight is just like squirting ready, uh, ready Whip, sort of like into the filmic center of your brain. There's just no substance to that at all, and moments after you watch a scene, you couldn't remember anything about it. Mm -hmm. Seconds after, after something would finish, you realize that you had no retention of it at all. So Most movies are like that, though. Yes, they are, Tim. Um, in any All event. I remember is the sparkly skin in the sunlight. It's, it's, it's so dumb. It's awful. So we'll talk to Don Taylor from Film.com. Uh, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com will join us as well. We'll have today's top five. The top five songs you'd swear were by somebody else. The top five songs you'd swear were by somebody else. And I do believe... Where did it go? 
right here. I do believe I have an answer to yesterday's question about who is that guy that drew the original peachy folder art. The answer may surprise you. Uh, that's coming up today. Tim Riley is working on the following news stories for your edification on this Tuesday. Now, this is getting worse and worse. And I'm looking at the graph of this on the front page of the Oregonian. Oregon's unemployment rate grows frighteningly close to 11%. Well above the national average and very spooky. A Beaverton man is charged with killing his wife with a hammer. A man's jaw is wired shut following an attack in the max stop. An autistic Portland teen survives being crushed in a trash compactor. Jesus a, God, Phoenix, a Phoenix trash collector is killed by one. Zach Efron poses with a topless woman. And we're going to hear from Levi Johnson. A name from the... Not too distant past. Levi Johnson, ring a bell? Yes. Oh, yes. Bristol Palin. Well, he said they broke up because he's immature or something. <laughs> oh, and... Uh, well done. But, and one, one senator strongly suggests AIG executives need to quit or commit suicide. <laughs> Who can disagree, I love Tim? this job. I really do as well. I get up at midnight to come in and do it. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, there's nothing like trash compactor stories to put a smile on my face in the not, wee not hours. Not just one, but two. Two. Well, you know, I think we're entering... The third must be coming. <laughs> Who's it going to be? Hopefully someone from AIG. Fantastic. Uh, Why not throw all the AIG guys into a trash compactor? I was going to say, right now, somewhere in Hollywood, B. Arthur is reaching deep into a trash compactor to try to fish out her lower plate that fell in there by mistake. Is she still alive? B. Yes. Arthur? Yes. Absolutely. You can't kill her. She's like the Grimace. Nothing can harm the Grimace. I think and you probably just killed Arthur. her by saying She and Betty White. White. No, no, that's the other. Betty White will live forever. And let me just say this about Betty White. I would, absolutely, in a heartbeat, like today. I mean, if, if Betty White was coming through town right now and she decided she wanted to, be, you know, wanted me to be her gentleman friend, I would take Betty White up on that offer. All those rattly old bones? Yes, Tim. Yes, I would. I would, because I used to say uh, that Barbara Eden from I Dream of Jeannie was the oldest woman that I would still have biblical relations with. But here's the thing: she almost doesn't count because she doesn't look that old. I feel I was thinking about this the other day because uh, who, uh, I think Siegfried and I were having some conversation about about old women that were still hot because we we're talking about Sophia Loren. And I can never really get a fix on how old she is anyway, not just because of her appearance, but just because every time I look up, you know, you see her referred to in a story, the age is given differently. How old is Sophia Loren? Do we know? No, I don't. I'm guessing 80, maybe. You maybe. think that old? I mean, maybe older, maybe younger. I see, I don't really know. It's hard, to, it's hard to tell, because when you see her, she looks... It's not that she looks good or bad, she just looks a little ageless. I mean, I guess she looks... I mean, she's still very, I guess she's attractive in, you know, in a sense, like if you're grading on some sort of a curve. But I can't even really get a hold on it, largely because she's done that thing where she's gotten rid of her eyebrows and then painted them back on. She's 74. 74. So Barbara Eden's got to be about that same age. Yeah. But Barbara Eden still looks good. Here's the difference, though. Betty White and Barbara Eden. Betty White looks every one of her, like, 70 years or whatever it is. I mean, Betty White isn't doing the thing where she's trying to just dig in and hold on to her, you know, sort of 30-something looks. So, well, she always looked like an older woman anyway. She sort of did. Well, you know, she's like Steve Martin in that way. Where Steve Martin from like age 15, I think he just had the whole shock of gray hair going on. He's always looked the same. Yes, he has. And anyway, my point is, Betty White is an older woman who looks like a much older woman. So I think that you get extra points, uh, you know, for offering to stoop her. Which I would, by the way. That's me, Rick Emerson, saying that. So, Betty White? And well, it's just an offer. She doesn't have to take you up on no, it. No, I mean, obviously, it's her choice, Tim. I mean, you know, I mean I'm, I'm not going to dictate Betty White's sexual relations for her. I'm just putting that out there in case her people are listening. Okay, this is getting a little creepy. Look, I'm just saying now with the broadcasting power of KUFO, look, whoever would have thought that they would be offering us Al Roker? We have the. Oh, I thought we'd be finally talking to Tommy Lee. That's what I'm saying, Sarah. Next, she'll be offered Betty White. 
Bring me Betty White. Bring me Betty White now on a silver tray lined with daffodil petals. Um, so you all should be thinking through about whether we want to interview Al Roker. There's there's a bit of a marquee what value you there. Said to him? See, that's the thing. I don't really know the answer to that. The question is, what does one ask Al Roker? Here's what I would. Ask. It was on the tip of my tongue to ask if you know if he was the first Ronald McDonald, but I don't think that's true. I think that's Willard Scott. I think I'm confusing Willard Scott with Al Roker, which Al Roker would probably not appreciate. Is Willard Scott dead? Willard Scott, dead or alive? Alive. Yeah, I think he's alive. See, and I thought he was dead, but I think I am in turn confusing Willard Scott with Charles Kuralt, who's dead, long time. Right. And had a secret wife. That was pretty incredible. He managed to pull that off. Yes, it was. All right. The only thing I would ask Al Roker is this. I guess he's, not, he's got some show coming out, which is about treasure hunting in the waters off of the Florida Keys, which is sort of cool. Uh, but he also produces that Heavyweights show on the Food Network. Do you watch that? No. Heavyweights is the best show ever. Th- this is really the reason you got to have cable television. You, you know, to get cable television... To, to... I haven't. There's never anything on. No, but see, here's the thing. Cable television now has finally delivered on the promise that they dangled in front of us for all those years, which is there's going to be niche programming for every single person on Earth. No matter what it is that you're interested in, the cable television is going to have a network or at least a few shows that hit that sweet spot for you. It's like how many different variations on CSI do you need to watch? I mean, the, the, honestly, how many? I times? Just, do you really think you need cable though? I mean, I don't. Yes, have, I do. I've had cable in three years, and I can find everything that I want on the internet. See, I can watch every single show, like even channels I wouldn't be able to afford with cable. I, I guess, I guess maybe I could. Although some of the stuff I watch isn't available on, on the internet. Um, some of the stuff I watch, you Anderson Cooper, found it on the like, yet. well, like the Sci-Fi Channel, like Battlestar, will put a lot of the stuff on there. You can watch, like Anderson Cooper is a good example. Occasionally, Anderson Cooper will take snippets of his show and he'll put it on CNN.com, but they don't do the long-form show. You can't watch the whole Anderson Cooper 360 on CNN. And I do want to support networks that I'm a fan of. Like if it's a TV show that I, you know, that I like, you know, I know, you know, Rick Emerson wants to give. I like to be able to tune in and give those guys my support, just as I would expect someone to give us their support. Um, but on the Food Network, they got this great show called Heavyweights. And what Heavyweights does is they take two competing franchises or companies that manufacture a similar kind of food or a food product. And they trace their history, both in evolution and as competitors against one another. So they'll do like... Going back um, to the days of the caveman? Exactly. Yes, Tim. So they will do like M&M's uh, versus... Uh, like the M&M Mars Company versus Hershey's. Oh, I see. Or they would do like Ben and Jerry's versus haagen Pepsi and Coke. Uh, Pepsi and Coke. Another one they would do. Uh, McDonald's versus Burger King. And so Lara and I have fallen into watching this show all the time. So we'll, we'll get like two, three, four in a row on TiVo. And we'll just sit there, usually while just shoveling lard into our big, fat American faces on the couch. And we'll watch Heavyweights. And it wasn't until like the third time we watched it, we got all the way to the end. And it said, Heavyweights, created and produced by Al Roker. And we actually paused it, and we both, it was like a sitcom moment. We both sat up on the couch, and we said, Al Roker. And then we looked at each other, and then it was sort of like a wah, 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 wah. Thank goodness it's not produced by Ryan Seacrest, like everything else is. Exactly. Well, that's just, that's just for now, too. And there'll be some sort of a hostile takeover coming. All right. Well, in any event, we'll ponder the interview of Al Roker. Uh, coming up later on in the program, Motley Crue's Tommy Lee, as well as, uh, as well as Sully Erna from Godsmack, Lisa Desjardins and Jim Rube from CNN Radio, Don Taylor from Film.com, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. Hello, Sarah Dillon. How are Hello. you? Hello. I'm doing well. I was bowling last night. It was fun. I think, I'm pretty sure that we won. I know we won um, two of the games. I don't know if we won all of them. Cause all it's like a bit it, of a blur. Yeah, it was the last game before. Um, well, they can't, it takes forever to tally up the points, and, you know, I don't want to stay like a half an hour after we're done bowling. Don't they have science that does that now? No, we just have Richie. 
But I mean, they have the a pencil and a scratch. They do, but there are all kinds of yeah. Like some people are there, some aren't. Some people's scores count. You have to add like handicaps, all kinds of like dorky bowling stuff. So yeah, so I have my bowling out, and then um, I watched the room again last night. You know, uh, okay. Well, never mind. I was I was going to start talking about bowling, but we uh, you know, if we get up and do a bowling jag here, we're just never going to get yeah. caught up. All right. We can get on a room jag, though. I watched the entire thing over again. Of course you did. It gets better and better every single time. Tim, have you ever seen The Room? No, I haven't. What's it about? It's one of the worst films ever committed to celluloid. I, I would say it's the worst film I've ever seen. I thought Showgirls was. I don't know that it's the worst film I've ever seen, but it's pretty bad. It's, uh, it's a movie that is apparently... It's become kind of a cult... There was an Entertainment Weekly did a big thing on it last month. And so Dave reads this thing in Entertainment Weekly. Dave's in at the front desk. He reads this piece in Entertainment Weekly about this film that has become a real cult favorite in Los Angeles. They do monthly screenings because it's so terrible. Dave's like, I, I have to see this. So he orders it. He watches it. He lends it to Sarah. Sarah watches it. Sarah lends it to some other people. Then I watch it. And it is truly very, very awful. It is... I, we, have, we have to take a break here in a second so I don't have time to get sort of bogged down in this. I will just say this about The Room. I'll send you the Wikipedia link for it and then uh, you can borrow the film if you want. I got it at home. And thank you for burning me a legal copy. Of course. Uh-huh. Sir, it's what I do. <laughs> Could I have a legal copy too? No, no, no. Legal, Tim. Oh, legal. Legal. Oh, sorry, legal. <laughs> Like everything else that I own. CBS Radio respects copyright. Um, it is a terrible film. You know, sometimes when you watch a bad movie, you go like, God, there's five or six things that are wrong with this film. Not so with The Room. There are literally hundreds of things that are wrong with the film. Like, you think it might be a joke because it's so geniusly bad, and then you kind of have to settle at the end that it actually is a real movie. Yeah, and like if you see the grip lock by on the shadow... Oh, yeah, you can see, like, microphone reflections. And and when you get to the end of the film, you realize that it was a labor of love for this guy, and then that makes it both better and worse at the same time because you realize that he has failed in every single aspect of filmmaking. It's quite something. No, Tim, it's by... Okay, so he's the financer, writer, producer, director, and star. And that, by the way, is always the mark of a bad film. That's how you know it's going to be bad. When they do... And this is just a tiny little piece of sort of the Hollywood observation. This is how you can tell a movie is going to be bad and how you can tell a movie is a vanity project. This is the this is the difference between sort of professional and hack. Sometimes a movie just has a very small crew. Like there's a, like there's two or three people that basically got together and they did 90% of the work. But it's it's understood that if you are in a movie like that, you just do one catch-all credit. So you're not putting your name up on every single card, every single credit card. You know what I mean? On the bigger word, it says produced by, directed by, written by, starring. You just do one card that says produced, directed, written by, blank, and then that's it. It is the mark of a hack that says directed by Bob blah blah. You know, produced by Bob blah blah. <laughs> Bob blah blah. Written by Bob blah blah. If you have to do that over and over again, it, it, it sort of it, a lot of people can peg that as a badly made film. So do it all on one card. And the room is a staggeringly badly made film. I'll bring it in so you can watch it. It's it's genius. All right, we'll do this. It is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It's true. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It is Tuesday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up later on, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. We'll also be doing the top five songs you would swear were performed by somebody else. Top five songs you would swear were somebody else. Also, Katie Darrell from TMZ and Don Taylor from Film.com. It's 503-733-2970. Richard Bristol, is this, uh, is this James Roop? So the line went away and now it's back. Well, let's just pick it up and see who it is, shall we? From Los Angeles, I think. It's CNN Radio correspondent James Roop, I hope. Yeah, good morning. Hello, sir. How are you? Uh, uh, I'm fine, thank you. All right, thanks. How's life in the uh, in the big city, my friend? It's nice. A little chilly this morning, but very nice. All right. What I know we've already asked this uh, question. We asked this when we were getting ready to make the transition to mornings. But you're out of bed at like 3 a.m., right? 
Uh, yeah, three thirty. Good for you. And you're at bed. You're in bed at what, like ten, eleven? Midnight, 12.30. See, that's right there. See, I deliberately placed your bedtime earlier in the evening so that you could say it was later in the evening and look even more like a badass. But believe me, I would much rather be in bed at 9 or 10, but it just doesn't, it never works out that way because there's a lot of beer left in the fridge. <laughs> Best laid plans of Bison Men and James Roop from CNN. <laughs> See, and that's, I actually went to bed fairly early last night, but that's only because I just had powered through the entire day and hadn't napped at all. But typically speaking, there is just no way you can you can get to bed at like 7.30 in the evening. It's just not going to happen. It is impossible. If for no other reason than it just makes you feel like a slacker. I mean, you just feel like an absolute tool, you know? Plus, the weather's beautiful down there, too, so how can you just, how can you sleep in Southern California? Hey, Tim, how are you? I'm fine. I got about three hours sleep myself. Good yeah. for you, man. I'm in here at three. You know, well, what? You know the thing is, if, if you go to bed early, you, you wake up in the morning think, and you think you missed stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, then you're then it's it's too much work to read up. I had a, uh, just go to bed after you watch the news. I had a friend of mine who would, uh, he was producing a country morning show, and his whole deal was you know he figured out he that he actually for whatever reason had to get to bed early in the evening because it didn't work for him to go to bed late and get up and whatever. So he was like going to bed at seven thirty in the evening, and he said the worst thing ever was when it was summertime, maybe like the middle of July. And it, first of all, it's like 195 degrees in the room, and the sun is just pounding in the window like you're on the surface of, of uh, you know, like you're on the surface of Alpha Centauri. It's just beaming in there. And he said that it was, it was like he was in some weird Andy Griffith in hell sort of thing, where as he's trying to sleep, he, sleep, he can hear the sounds of children laughing and running by the window on their way to play softball and go swimming in the creek. Yeah, you know? it's horrible. I did an overnight show in Southern California, and it's the worst thing imaginable to try to sleep. <laughs> why, why be in Southern California if you have to sleep during the day and work all night when there's nobody listening? Dude, what is the point? You might as well move to Akron. Hey, dude, I, I worked overnights in L.A. when I lived a mile from the beach. Oh. worse. <laughs> Man. And I'm a surfer, you know, so it was like it was just bad news. You know, I, when I lived in Southern California, I was unemployed, and I really regret not taking advantage of the fact that we lived pretty near the beach. But it was like I didn't feel like I deserved to go to the beach. That was my thing. I uh, I moved to, uh, it wasn't even L.A. It was San Diego, and I lived in San Diego between gigs. And in radio, there's this phrase: when you're unemployed in radio, though, you're not unemployed. You're you're on the beach. That's the phrase they use. <laughs> it's not bad there as long as it's Santa Barbara. But my whole thing was, you know, just Laura and I were there, and of course. It, as is the case with every radio guy, I had a stable woman uh, to support me. And so uh, this, so she had a gig. You know, she would get up and she'd go to work. And I would just sit at home and I'd be like, ah, oh, the beach is like, you know, a mile and a half away. But I don't deserve any fun. I can't even get a job. And I would just sit there and just weep silently to myself and then eat some macaroni and cheese and fall asleep in my own tears. So that was my life for about six months. But enough about me. Please, more. Let's talk about our good friend, uh, Anna Nicole Smith. Yeah. So this is one of those things where it's taken a few years, but just everybody in her wake is it looks like is going to go down and end up in the clink or at least uh, getting tagged with something or other. Well, the, the three in her inner circle, anyway. Yeah, so it's Howard K. Stern, and it's it's what, the doctor and the shrink, or are those the same person? No, no, it's two different people, yeah. Dr. Sandeep Kapoor, that's the physician who wrote the prescriptions, and then uh, the psychiatrist who also wrote some prescriptions. Uh, her name is Christine Eroshevich, so... They are all now charged and all out on bail for conspiracy to funnel drugs to her in uh, roughly the three years before she died. So when they say conspiracy to funnel drugs, I mean, what I mean is... They all work together. You know, we need to get Anna Nicole some more drugs. Okay, I'll get these. Okay, you get those. You know, and they, and they get them on a Howard K. Stern, who then gives them to Anna Nicole Smith. Now, even, even though the, the, what the Attorney General said was, even though they all knew she was addicted, 
and they used a fake name on the prescription. Ah. That's that's what violates California law. Okay, I was going to say, because I mean, it doesn't really seem like like the American Medical Association has... You know, the American Medical Establishment doesn't seem to have any issue just handing out drugs willy-nilly to people, but if they were doing the fake the right. fake name, that is... um. As they would say, as they would say in Catholic school, uh, that is how your still small voice knew that it was wrong, Rick. Uh, well, one, one held her down, the other held the funnel. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they were. Try- I don't like think they, were- they had to hold her down. <laughs> like they were trying to make pate. She was nearly unconscious most of the sure. time. No, no, no. We need to enlarge her liver so it'll be spreadable. Well, you know, and the the doctors are saying they use the fake name to protect her. Uh, they're also saying that they used uh, certain drugs to kind of counteract the addiction. <laughs> that seems like a great Whatever. idea. You know, that's a great What's going to get her off these pills? I know. How about well, pills? pills? Yeah. yeah. Right, we're going to find out all that stuff once all the arraignments and everything happen. We don't know anything just yet. I mean, this all happened over, what, Monday and uh-huh. Tuesday or, or Sunday and Monday. The prescriber is one Dr. Keith Moon. <laughs> God almighty. All right. Uh, hey, whatever happened to that baby of hers? I don't know. Isn't it the baby's around? Yeah, I don't even remember who got the baby. Uh, Larry, what's Burkhead. his name got it? Yeah, Larry, Larry Burkhead. Larry Burkhead. Yeah. You know, to his credit, he seems like a guy who's walking the talk. He said that he just wanted to be a dad, and he got the kid and hadn't been in the tabloid since then. You know, she's got to be, well, she's, what, three, four years old now. So oh, God, really? She's got to know what's going on. Wow, that makes me feel old if that's true, because I remember when that baby was, was you know, was just the size of my pinky, Jim Roop. <laughs> Well, you I have to be an, like a football. You have to be an octomom to make the papers nowadays. <laughs> really, that's anyway. true. One baby isn't enough. No. You got to be shoving fifteen I'll kids be out of that out thing. I'll to her new place today, probably. Really? They're continuing the baby proofing. <laughs> she should have been baby. I was just gonna say, you know, I get her womb out. She should have been baby proofed. Yeah. You got to coat the inside of that woman with Teflon if you get a chance. Would you please? Nothing. All right. Just, uh, I don't think she needs anything else attaching to the inside of anything else in her body right now. <laughs> God Almighty. Hey, uh, and then, not that I really care at this point, because she's become really dull, but Lindsay Lohan went from having a warrant for her arrest to, to not having a warrant, like in the blink of an eye, without any of the interesting stuff in between. Yeah, well, the the, the judge said that when she signed a, a warrant for the arrest, um, she didn't have all the information, including the information that Lindsay Lohan had, had been in a uh, uh, some sort of diversion program, uh, which is one of the problems. I, I thought it was she drove to Las Vegas, and she's only supposed to drive going... To and from work, so I don't know where that came in. I don't know even. I, I can't even find any of that information. Then there was some sort of hoo-ha outside Jack Nicholson's gate. Um, it's just Lindsay Lohan, another day in the life. Lindsay Lohan, Lohan, and a hoo-ha outside of Jack Nicholson's yeah. gate. <laughs> well, Are we still talking about driving? <laughs> well, there was some sort of. She went to a party outside. I don't Jack know. Nicholson's it appears to be some sort of hoo-ha. Yes, yeah, you know, it's an old Midwest term for. Hubbub or brouhaha, whatever uh-huh. the hell you call it. Well, all right, then. Some sort of fruckus. You know, uh, what you should do... As just, fruckus uh, is a better word. I like fruckus. As the... Uh, or, or Happy St. Patrick's Day, by the way. Thank you, my friend. Just as, just as a side note here, because as we sort of wrap this up, because Sarah and I were talking in the beginning of the program about Lindsay Lohan, and Sarah said, well, you know, she's really boring now. And I said, well, you know, the, the, the curtain seems to have come down on this era of Hollywood troublemaking starlets. Uh, you know, because Paris Hilton is just not on the news for whatever reason, and uh, what's her name, Nicole Richie had a kid, and Lindsay Lohan is just, you know, she's gone from being sort of interestingly wasted to just being sort of just drugged out and flat all the time. You know, she just sort of has that burned-out flashbulb look in her eyes. So maybe you ought to do some sort of a, a sidebar piece about, you know, the end of an era where this whole crop of girls has kind of gone off into the horizon and then sort of, you know, when, like, is there any sort of a cyclical timeline? In other words, is it like an every nine years thing, every five years, every 12 years? How often 
does Hollywood generate this next wave of sort of, uh, you know, 16, 17-year-old girls that then cause trouble for the next three or four years? Well, what was the wave before this one? Is that the Charlie Sheen wave? I don't know. Sarah, you, I mean, you, you follow this kind of stuff. So before, before Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, what would the wave before that have been? Probably all, like, the 90210 era. There you go, like a Shannon Doherty. Uh, uh, Shannon Doherty. Of, really? That, that's a lot of time. Maybe. Jenny Garth, Tori Spelling. I mean, maybe there, was, maybe there was something between the two of them, but I couldn't really put my finger on what it would have been. So, hmm. But see, but there you go. See, maybe that's worth, maybe that's worth examining. Because they do that in pop music sometimes. So they'll talk about the rise of a Springsteen or a Jackson and how often it happens, or a Kurt Cobain, and is there some sort of a an average, a mean for how many years pass between those phenomena? So I'd be curious to know if there's something like that with Hollywood, uh, you know, starlets and celebrities and whatnot. I bet you we do find it cyclical, like you were saying. I yeah. bet you, you know, there is some sort of pattern to it. Ooh, maybe you could do a news report from the future about all the high school musical kids. <laughs> Because there's a Zac Efron, uh, Tim Riley. Uh, Posing uh, with naked ladies. Yeah, Tim Riley. I'd rather take the gas pipe. Yeah. The... <laughs> See, that's why I like your bottom line assessment of the situation. I'd rather be killed. <laughs> All right. Jim Roop, CNN Radio, Los Angeles. God bless you, sir. You're doing Thank the you, Lord's Lord. work. Thank you, my friend. There you go. In sunny Southern California, James Roop. There you go. Wow. All right. It's 503-733-2970. The Rick Emerson Radio Program and Rock 101 KUFO. Don't forget, still to come this morning, we will talk to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, as well as Sully Erner from Godsmack. We'll be doing a conference call with both of those guys. Uh, we'll also have the top five songs you'd swear were by somebody else. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. Sarah. I believe so. <laughs> Wait, what? What? Nothing. <laughs> it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming by. It's Tuesday morning. Coming up next hour, we'll talk to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. From Sully Erna from Godsmack. Crew Fest 2. Tickets on sale this Saturday, ladies and gentlemen. And I guess they're going to be playing Dr. Feelgood in its entirety, which is fantastic. I love the press release, Jim, reading it. It has, like, all sorts of profanity. Yeah. Like, don't read this on the air. Yeah. No. No, they, uh, they, sent, they sent one press release, I think, a couple weeks ago. And there's a one that just came out. And it is, it is clearly... It's got this. When the economy goes to S... Says Nikki Six, entertainment is the one uh, steady, and then they're talking about how it, you know, it's the 20th anniversary of Doctor Feelgood, and, which I don't think is actually true, though. Wait, 99? I guess it would be okay. It's 20. Jesus, I'm old. Sorry. This just in. Rick Emerson is ancient. <laughs> All right. Speaking of this just in, let's go to the news desk with Tim Riley. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. Ah, this unemployment rate is horrible. Eleven percent, at least close to it in Oregon. So what does that mean if you're unemployed right now? Once your 26 weeks are up. Emergency unemployment can't provide an additional 33 weeks, but you didn't know that. Now, once those 33 weeks are up, you can extend your benefit 13 more weeks. Still unemployed, seven additional weeks. Why don't they just say from the out? Are they just? Is this because they don't want people to automatically go into it, assuming they can get like a year and a half off? Yes. Because they're putting on. When they say emergency unemployment, what does that mean? Emergency unemployment. Well, everybody gets 26 weeks. But it sounds like everybody gets 33 weeks after that. Yes, if you play your cards right. There is no... And by play your cards right, you mean be honest, Tim. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm out looking for a job every minute of the day because there are so many jobs to apply for. Pounding the pavement. I can't stop. I've got the reams of paper with a resume. 
I can't keep track of all these interviews. Did you? Uh, you may not have. I don't know if you. I wasn't employed for half of twenty six weeks. I don't know if you heard the show when uh, our uh, our colleague Jamie Cooley was here one day. I was, was I was too busy living in a pleasant life <laughs> to turn on the radio and be entertained to be happy. Oh wow! There was nothing to laugh about. Nothing. Now, now, now I feel like ass. Um. Anyway, there was this day that Jamie Cooley, who uh, had been with uh, KNRK for a long time until she was, uh, you know, she was uh, let go. And well, we had this whole debate about the linguistics of it. But, you know, she worked there. Now she doesn't work there. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about, about uh, you know, going out and looking for jobs or whatever. And they do labor under this illusion. I mean, you know, the, the unemployment office and the government, they labor under this fiction that somehow there's just jobs aplenty. There's a, there's a cornucopia, uh, cornucopia of jobs out there. It is just flowing like the River Ganges. Well, did I tell you what happened? A few weeks goes by when you have to go into this meeting yeah. where, where they show you how to look for jobs. So everybody get a printout in their field in this room uh, of jobs to look at. Then she gave me my handout, and there was nothing on it. So she goes, <laughs> um, what inter- industry are you in? And she looks at, oh... And then she just walked away and said nothing more and expected nothing more from me. <laughs> so where did, let's see, where did Mr. Riley work? Radio. Oh, you poor bastard. We call that the Widowmaker. Well, what can you do, Tim? But you know, the good thing about that is, mm-hmm. here's the thing. I, the last time I filed for unemployment, my deal is I went in and I made my job skills. Because they ask you, what skills do you have? What talents and expertise do you bring to a future employer? And I just deliberately made my skills so specific that they couldn't find any job interviews to send me on. Because otherwise you're going to be like, you know, what is this? Well, you're going to be picking up bags of sand and moving them over there to that pile. Scrubbing a pickle barrel. (laughs) Exactly. So it was like I tried to make my qualifications just so absurdly uh, sort of fine-tuned that there was no way they could possibly send me out. But it's like now you wouldn't do that because there really, there probably are, like whatever your field is, there probably are no jobs. So you're trying to like it, just get sent on whatever interview uh, you can find, and the interview you can find is going to be nothing. It's going to be you interviewing yourself in a mirror, practicing what you might say to a prospective employer should you ever be sent to speak with one. I mean, here, here's his uh, very sad-looking graph here. If you look on the front of today's Oregonian, uh, is that the actual, the very front page? Yes, it is. You look at the below the fold on today's front page of the Oregonian. So that is so, and it's terrifying that it graph is. they have, and they've started doing this. I've seen, this is a thing they've actually just devised, I think, in terms of the job loss, because I've seen them doing it on CNN, too. And it's, I don't know what you call that kind of graph. It's not a pie chart, but it's the graph where it's, where it's, you know, it's like a bunch of columns, basically, yes. of various heights. Yes. And it shows, you know, like, here were the jobs last year, and here were the jobs this year. It looks like a total meltdown. Exactly. Basically. And so they've devised this really clever visual way of illustrating how bad the job market is. Rather than showing you how high the unemployment is, because what that would be is basically a column that was kind of short for last year, but a column for this year that's very tall, where they show you the unemployment rate or the jobs lost. The way they do it now is they have a baseline, a horizontal line, that is the finite number of jobs. And then for jobs lost, the column just goes down. It doesn't go up. It goes down toward the bottom of the paper. And it's like the column for this month is like, it's off the charts. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. This is the highest since, what, 1976 job losses? Yeah. So there you go. Anyway. Well, it could be worse. You could be crushed in a trash compactor. Uh, luckily, a teenager is alive because the uh, trash man didn't pull the switch to crush everything. He went to stop something down inside a uh, one of those big containers, slipped and got stuck. So the trash man comes around and picks up the thing and, and throws it up on top of the truck. At the time, the family calls 911, thought he ran away or was kidnapped. 
When the truck driver stopped to pick up another container, he spotted the boy trying to climb out. Uh. He stopped the truck, and the boy fell out onto the ground. Uh, he does have a broken pelvis and a few bruises. All right. We it should be worse, though. We... Uh, uh, where, where, where do we have to? Okay, so we have to. The, the, let's tease the other half of that. All right, we'll tease. An the Arizona other sanitation worker was crushing the garbage truck compactor. <laughs> That's all you get for now. <laughs> Join us next hour. I think I've seen the head to the end of the story, Tim. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program on Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming by. We're here alongside Sarah X. Dillon, Tim Riley. And our intrepid PA, Richie Bristol, who is scheduled. God bless him. God bless Richie Bristol. I hold here my hands. Two different guest bookings that Richie has secured. We should take a moment to say that um, we're going to be talking to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue and uh, Sully from Godsmack later on in this hour as well. Crew Fest 2 unveiled yesterday. Tickets go on sale Saturday. And the big news here is that um, Motley Crue is going to be performing Dr. Feelgood in its entirety, which is fantastic. Uh... So we'll get that, and then if we're speaking of top five, you sort of think about the top five. We'll do the top five songs you'd swear were performed by somebody else. That'll be coming up later on. Katie Darrell from TMZ, Don Taylor from Film.com. Right here, yesterday we were going through the Radio TV Interview Report, which is this book that they send uh, to hapless DJs who are trying to fill like a four-hour radio show uh, that, that airs from like 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. on a nine-watt station somewhere in Tulsa. And it's just page after page after page of terrible guests. Occasionally, though, there is the nugget of odd, obscure gold. So we've got this. Barry Buskelly, I think is how you pronounce this. We found this yesterday. Barry was childhood friends with John Wayne Gacy. And together, this is probably... This is the best bio ever. No, I'm going I'm to read you this. Now, keep this guy's going to be Thursday. Uh, not today, but Thursday at around 7.30 or so. We're going to be talking to Barry Buskelly. He's written... He's written a book about growing up and being friends with John Wayne Gacy. You know John Wayne Gacy is the guy who dressed up like a clown and killed 33 guys and stuck him in his crawl space. As Steve Dahl once said, um, all in all, it's just another kid in the crawl. Uh, and so John Wayne Gacy is America's most prolific serial killer, I, which they still say, but I don't think that's true. Because I think Gary Ridgway, who was the Green River killer, uh, outscored him. I think Gary Ridge, Ridgeway... I thought that he had less than 33. See, I don't think so. And I think it's fewer than 33. Fewer than 33. And now I don't even really know. But I thought Ridgeway was sort of the Wilt Chamberlain of, of, of killing at this point. But maybe that's just sort of claimed kills. It might not be confirmed. Sort of like Halo 2. You know, if there's no video of it, it didn't really happen. The point is... Well, maybe he's America's most celebrated serial killer. <clears throat> I don't really know that that's... I don't really know that that's an appellation we officially give to... Okay, you're right. Anybody? He, had, he had 48. When you say oh, no, he he America's serial killer... When, <laughs> When you say America's most celebrated serial killer, it's sort of like you're talking about Boxcar Willie in one of those late night infomercials. He's America's most celebrated musical hobo. And it flashes. <laughs> you can get his picture on a plate. Um, anywho. His caring eyes. His caring eyes and murderous grin will. Barry Boskelly has written this book about growing up and being friends with John Wayne, Case, uh, John Wayne Gacy. And we're going to talk to him on, uh, on the Thursday morning. But his bio that they send to us. And Richie just gave this to us after he, after he got it confirmed. The bio is hilarious because it contains a lot of phrases and words you probably shouldn't use if you're talking about befriending a guy who, you know, killed 33 dudes. I'll be there for you. <laughs> no, it says this. See if you can find the word that doesn't belong in this sentence. Right. Barry Boskelly was childhood friends with John Wayne Gacy. And together they shared many adventures and struggles. You probably don't want, to use, don't want to use the word struggles when you're talking about a guy who would sneak up behind uh, dudes with a rope and then uh, cut off their, their air supply in his living room. Since John's execution in 1994, Barry was encouraged by many 
I would imagine his creditors and debtors, uh, to write about the Johnny that very few people had the opportunity to know. Really, how many John Wayne Gacy's are there? And if there are no, no, no not John, Johnny. I'm, I'm sorry. And if there are multiple uh, John Johnny Wayne Gacy's, really, isn't that indication enough that nobody ought to know more than one of them? In writing this book, Barry hopes to shed some light on the other side of John Wayne Gacy and find spiritual closure for himself. And then it ends with this. Barry Boskelly, who's written this book about John Wayne Gacy, says Barry has the privilege of residing with his three cats, Jumpy, Bootsy, and Sharpie, with whom he finds great pleasure and joy. So there you go. That's coming up Thursday. Uh, coming up, I believe, on Wednesday, uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking to Lord Shahid Adam who has written the book, Speed Pimpin. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to resist him, Rick. Um, Speed Pimpin's era will captivate and titillate. It's not a subliminal message. It is the new urban lexicon for seducing women. He is wearing a hat. So, all right, so that's coming up. It's fantastic. It's 503 That's usually how women are seduced, aren't they, with those derbies? <laughs> that's exactly. It's really a fedora, uh, Tim. On the side. It's all about a snap-brim uh, chapeau at this point in time, Tim. That's really, uh, that's really the key to a woman's heart at this you know, time. I can't wait to hear what he sounds like, because this picture, not impressed. No, he's uh, No, he looks like a douchebag. No, he seems like I a mean, nozzle. a very nice guy. I'm sure he's... Well, you know what? I mean... Who, who's, well, just who's to say? Meet the world's master smooth talker. Women flock to him by dozens, and that's just for the early part of the day. But I mean, you really have to say, hey, look, if he was a traditionally attractive or good-looking guy, it would be sort of less impressive than if he could pull a lot of women. Like, in order for the speed pimping thing to really work for its target demographic, which is like Richie Bristol and other horny guys, in other in order for this book to sort of appeal to those uh, th- those folks, like, he has to be kind of an odd-looking guy, because otherwise you would just go, well, of course he gets women. Look at him. Right? In other words, is it sort of like the weirder he is, the better the book sells if he, in fact, can pull any amount of, of chicks. And so. he doesn't live with three cats. No, I don't believe so. <laughs> Maybe he does. He just didn't list them on the website. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Tim Riley's working on the following stories on this Tuesday morning. Now, the Seattle PI prints its last issue today. Then they go online completely. A man's jaws wired shut after being attacked while waiting for the max. Members of Oregon's film community make their presence out of the Capitol today. It's Industry Day. They're trying to lobby for more films here in the state. We'll also hear from the New York woman shot with the arrow. And Tyra Banks promises the rioting models another shot at stardom. Really? Mm-hmm. Outrage over the AIG bonuses grows as one senator urges the executives to please commit suicide for us all. That's for the greater good. Well, that's because there's no sense of honor left in the society. Oh, we're going to hear from uh, Levi Johnson, too. You know who he is. Is he He's the talk Bristol Palin, the whatever? Boy, yeah. you want to talk about a guy that's just, on the one hand, is so glad to be rid of that whole mess and away from that family. But, you know, now the, the deal is that he'll spin it into some sort of, like, he'll write the book, he'll have the, the series or whatever. Because, see, if he can get away from, because the, the baby, was the baby born? Was the baby I, born? Yes, it yes, was. They were yeah, holding the she, baby. Because yeah, it was called sold, uh, like the pictures Track or Trip or Trig or Trunk. Or something. Trap. Trap. Trail. Trap. 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 <laughs> really. Um, and so I, it, it's sort of the best of all possible worlds for him. If the baby is sort of, I mean, I guess if the, the baby is born and so he's a dad. So, I mean, that's, I guess, I did the believe a mixed, a mixed blessing. But he'll now be able to piggyback on some of that sort of ancillary fame without having to be, like, tied down to that horrible woman and her family. So I just, real quickly, I wanted to just do a couple of these. We've got this. These are these really not worth spending a whole lot of time, and it's just here for, these are just here for the headlines. German customs officials have detained a man who was trying to smuggle more than 160 large trapdoor spiders into the country from Switzerland, oh. and they've got a photograph of these, and they're massive. They're huge. I'm just going to read this so we can all cringe together. 
It's from the BBC. Spider smuggler held in Germany. German customs officials have detained a man trying to smuggle 175 trapdoor spiders into the country from Switzerland. The Swiss driver was also carrying 45 boxes of cockroaches as food for his eight-legged cargo. The spiders, three, two, one, most of which were as big as a fist, oh. were found wriggling around in bags in his car. The same man was stopped at the same place two years ago for trying to bring some 1,000 spiders into a fair where he planned to sell them. Uh, let's see, and uh, finally this. An employee at a Ferndale Dairy... Ferndale, really? Yeah. I'm thinking of Fernwood. Am I thinking of Fernwood tonight? What was the thing with Willard Scott? I think it was Fernwood. An employee of a Ferndale Dairy Queen says she, quote, accidentally poured Ajax into the malt dispenser, sickening two customers, uh, according to court documents. Accidentally? Ajax seems like a thing that doesn't really exist. Ajax sort of seems like a 20 mule team borax. It's one of those products that exists only to be referred to in popular culture. I'm not even really sure what Ajax is. I'm not either. Is it like Comet? See, yes, I, don't, I don't really know. Blue. Is that true? Is it some sort of it's horrible, same thing. like a scrubbing agent of uh -huh. some kind? All right, so there you go. Accidentally poured into the malt dispenser. Because it looks just like skinny and sweet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Rick Emerson Radio Program on Rock 101 KUFO. KUFO. And hello. There we go. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for joining us today. It is 503-733-2970. And it is St. Patrick's Day, my friends, me amigos. Coming up later on in this hour, we're going to talk to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, as well as Sully from Godsmack. Crew Fest 2 announced yesterday, uh, coming to the Amphitheater of Clark County, July 28th. They're going to be performing Dr. Feelgood in its entirety, so that is pretty fantastic. We'll talk to Tommy Lee later in this hour. Also, Don Taylor from Film.com, Katie Darrell from TMZ, and we'll count down the top five songs that you would swear were performed by somebody else. This, however, is news performed by Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. He finally speaks. Levi Johnson, the former boyfriend who impregnated Bristol Palin. And, of course, they did have the baby, but now they've broken up. Why is that? Well, he said it's because... I hope my pot's up here because this is incredible. He says it's because he's immature or something. The engagement is off. The engagement's off, yeah. And whose idea was that? It was both of ours. It's just us not, me not being mature enough or something. And... Wow. Wow. <laughs> what he should do is he should spread his seed as far as wide, as wide as possible. We need more kids that come out of that gene pool. Can you play that one more time? It's like... I don't. It's like he can barely open his mouth enough to sort of like the words are sort of escaping between his teeth. He sounds not unlike that Steven Seagal interview in that way, where it's I barely. Uh, it's hard to breathe. It's just sort at of the same time. It's not even. He's not even really projecting the words. It's more of just like a glottal vibration that's emanating the from his larynx. Off. Engagement's off. Yeah. And whose idea was that? It was both of ours. It's just us not me not being mature enough or something. And well, that's good that you kept the baby then. Whatever you do, uh, if you're immature, whatever uh, you do, make sure you keep that baby and raise it yourself so you can instill all of your values into it. 
Well done. I'm really hear from Sarah Palin and what she's thinking about the whole situation. You know, I I I, I have to say I kind of miss her sometimes. I got to say that she's Sarah, busy going to turkey stranglings and whatnot. I think Sarah Palin probably packed that kid off to live with an aunt about 55 miles away as soon as the pregnancy happened. I would be astounded. I'm not saying I know anything, and I'm trying to say that this is the case of just my uh, this is my punditry on display. I would be amazed if that kid still lived anywhere near the Palin household. Because well, don't you remember, like when it when it happened, like the Inquirer and all those places were coming that she kicked her out. Oh, that's right, mm-hmm. and they did. So they, it did happen, and they did like ship her off to live with some, uh, you know, some distant relative or whatever, whatever. Because you know, Sarah Palin probably was still pissed off that that there was so much damage done to her credibility, like right out of the gate. I'm a family values. What? Ah, damn. And there's that whole thing about her kid being hooked on OxyContin or Codone or whatever. The kid that went over to Iraq. Um, and he was just, he was all strung out while he was living with, you know, with the Palins at Sarah Palin's home. Which is only tricky because as the governor of Alaska, she's the chief law enforcement officer for the state. So if your kid is all strung out on hillbilly heroin, that's not very clever. Um, so I, I really, I would give you like 50 to 1 right now that that, uh, that that kid is still living at home. Anyway. Well, good for you, Levi Johnson. Make sure you go out and uh, impregnate several more girls so we can continue to have entertainment value. She's New York's biggest new celebrity, the lady who was shot in the neck with the arrow. Or was it in the neck? Oops, wait a minute here. Here's the lady who was shot by the arrow. It still won't do it. Here's the lady who was shot. I thought I had been hit by maybe a softball or something, you know. And I look down and I see an arrow protruding out of my stomach area. And I started to scream. Oh, my God. Imagine you're, like, hit by, you think you're hit by a rock or something. Like, like oh, hello, there's an arrow uh, sticking That's unnerving. What was that? It seems to have, uh, I felt some sort of a small thumping sensation. Perhaps it's the embrace of a loved one who I didn't know. Oh, it's an arrow. Good God. She had no intention of becoming a celebrity. I still can't believe something like this could happen. Everybody, I guess, has their 15 minutes of fame, but like, this was quite the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> You never know when it's your turn. Okay, but you know you have to give her points for really, for having a little bit of panache. There's a little bit of style there when she's, uh, you know, when she's being interviewed about it. Because really, I mean, if they, I think at this point, because that happened what yesterday? Yeah. No, over the weekend. I think. Over the weekend, it was just a couple of days ago. I mean, I can't speak for any of y'all, but I think if they were to interview me at this point, I'd still be going, "Holy ass! There's it. Somebody shot me with an arrow." I think it would take me weeks to get over the fact that I was walking down. It was not like she was in Tuscaloosa. I mean, she was yeah. in the Bronx, right? Well, you right? can never unsee that. No, and that's... If you look down and you see something sticking out, like, uh... No, that, that, exactly. That's another good point, because it is the combina- It is the intersection of horrific and surreal that I think that would lodge in your brain. I think that would be an image that you would have difficulty expunging from your, uh, from your, your memory banks. So I think I would still be coping with the fact that while walking down the city street that I somehow was transported into this tiny slice of 1825 and an arrow flew out of the air and hit me in the thorax. Yet other New Yorkers remain cheerful today as they have the corned beef and cabbage eating contest. Here's the winner. Uh, it feels great. Uh, it's going to feel good until I go into a nitrate coma, but I'm, I'm really excited to be here in uh, New York and St. Paul's today. Here's the person who came in last place. I knew that I was up against, you know, top ten eaters. These, are, these guys are the creme de la creme, the greatest eaters of all time in competitive eating. So I was just honored to be part of the, um, you know, the whole entourage. You know, this is what we should do. I have an idea. This is one of those things that, uh, that occurs to me. And I will say it, and I will spread the genius of this notion everywhere, and everybody will nod their heads sagely and agree that this is a fantastic, uh, sort of a fantastic idea, and then nothing will come of it. Um, 
Here's what we ought to do to spread democracy. We ought to just take footage of these competitive eating contests, and that's what we ought to sort of beam like V for Vendetta style into televisions all over the world. Because, we, you know, a lot of times people look at America and they just see sort of, you know, they just be, it's like sex and it's violence and it's pornography and it's sort of sort of sleazy underbear, underbelly and it's sort of like a you know, very prurient uh, kind, of, uh, kind of lifestyle that we have here. But everybody, look, brother got to eat. Everybody needs to eat. Let's brag about our gluttony. That's what I'm saying. Just look, like here's how much food we have. Hey, you, look, rest of the rest of the dirt poor world that seems intent on blowing everything up. Look at this. We got so much food, we can just have guys sit there and sh- they can shovel it into their face, not even taking the time to taste it. That's how much food we have. You know why? Because down the street, another supermarket full of food. And beyond that, warehouse full of food. So much food that we leave it under a heat lamp for five minutes at a fast food joint, then we ditch it into the trash. You know why? More food where that came from. So, you know, suck on that. And, you know, if that doesn't convince people to come and embrace the American way of life, then really what's going to? There's some guy eating a pile of stones, you know, in Croatia. Meanwhile, here we go. Guy just shoveling corned beef into his mouth and probably yakking it up five minutes later. It is what separates us from savages. Meanwhile, the Russians celebrate St. Patty's Day by eating each other. Here's the Kettle Watch. <laughs> well done. Yummy, yummy Russians. A woman from Russia's Siberia region has been arrested for killing a friend and then eating parts of the corpse. The incident occurred when the two women began drinking together at the suspect's home. An argument broke out. The uh, investigators suggest the women cooked pieces. Oh, the woman cooked pieces of her murdered friend and ate it. Uh, he added that the perpetrator killed her friend with an axe and that uneaten parts of the victim's body had been found in a nearby waste bin. In a separate case, prosecutors in uh, Russians, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this Russian name, last week said they were searching for a man suspected of cannibalism after the mutilated body of another woman was found in the town of Iskobidyoan. The town of Hatistan. <laughs> so uh, that's their uh, St. Patrick's Day uh, celebration in Russia. A couple of thoughts. First of all, a lot of axe murders going on recently. I think the axe is making, you know, maybe... Are going to come back? I'm thinking it's a, it's a sign of the troubled economic times. People can't... Bad. People, well, people can't afford to go on television to be buying one of them fancy knives uh, that, that you know that the knife show was always pitching. It would be 4 a.m. But you they're can, so cheap, Rick. How can they not afford them? I, well, you know, I, people don't understand that you have to spend money to make money or to kill and cannibalize a friend. All, you know, handguns, you know, that's a pricey item. you got to buy the ammunition that goes along with it. Chainsaw, wood chipper, these are all things that require substantial investment. But you got to figure in Russia, they got axes just lying around everywhere mm-hmm. because even because there is actually a, kind of a thriving uh, timber industry in certain parts of that country. So axes are plentiful. You know, and it, with an axe, you can, here's the thing about the axe that people don't realize. You can use the axe to both subdue and then dismember your victim. So, I mean, it's a, it's a multi-purpose tool uh, in this regard. And, you know, and then the eating is... Yeah, I guess waste not one. Not. But see, that's back to my thing about how, you know, in America, we got Joey Chestnut who's just shoveling hot dogs into, uh, into his face. Russia, you know, you got to be cooking up your friend's ankles for breakfast. And why, why not axe for seconds? Why not indeed? There's your cannibal watch for Tuesday. I'm show. Axe for it by name. That's your cannibal watch for Tuesday. There's one final question about this. Do you wonder when you hear the, you know, the, the, where he said he ate certain parts of the frame but then kicked the rest into a waste bin? Mm-hmm. 
presuming this was the first time he's done this. In other words, you know, he decided finally, you know, he maybe pondered cannibalism, but had never really had the stones to take the leap into the great unknown until now. Do you wonder? I would like to know. I'd like to see some sort of survey of first-time cannibals to see if there is any sort of unanimity on the body part that they go for. You know what I mean? Is there some sort of an agreement? Because I was always told it was the ass, uh, and that's uh, that's the thing you learn if you watch that movie Alive, where they go from it's like zero to sixty in about a second and a half. They go from well, we can't possibly eat our friends. That's unhuman. All right, start with the ass, and then immediately they're like going for going for the, for the guy's butt, and. There doesn't seem to be any middle ground. Like, maybe that part was just taken on in post. Maybe the studio felt that Jack Valenti or somebody felt that it was, it was just, you know, the movie didn't move along in a fast enough clip. And so they went right to the, uh, you know, to the, to the sort of butt carving. But there didn't seem to be any discussion about it. It was like they all just mutually agreed upon that. So I would like to know with these people who dive into the cannibal lifestyle, if they sort of ponder it, if they sort of give it any thought, they weigh it, or if it's just understood that that's where you begin. These are the things I think about. Don't forget, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to talk to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, also Sully from Godsmack. Later on, Katie Darrell from TMZ. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101. KUFO. I don't. I can't tell. I'm old. Isn't there oh, some other me. lady, some other chick rapper who's called Lady Something or Lady other? Sovereign? Lady Sovereign. Yeah, uh, I like her. Lady not Gaga. Lady Gaga. Gaga. It's all very confusing. I'm like a hundred years old. I don't really know what I'm talking about. With your hip and your hop. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. Ladies and gentlemen, just a few moments. We're going to talk to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, as well as Sully Erna from Godsmack. Coming up later on, uh, Don Taylor from Film.com will be here. Uh, we'll talk to Katie Darrell from TMZ, and we'll be uh, doing our top five. The top five songs that you would swear were recorded by somebody else. The top five songs you would swear were performed by somebody else. And don't forget, one random on-air caller today won a pair of tickets to see Tesla April 5th at the Roseland Theater. Tickets on sale now at all Tickets West outlets. Uh, That is Tesla April 5th at the Roseland Theater. I'm sorry? Crew Fest 2, yes. I'm sorry, Richie's giving me notes. Richie's giving me notes on the screen about Crew Fest 2. All right. What happened to the warm line? Duly noted. I think we're talking, so it's five minutes away. This is this is the point in the Muppet Show where um, Scooter comes into the dressing room and he says, "Tommy Lee, five minutes to curtain, Tommy Lee." All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, it is Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Comedian Jackie Mason in hot water after using a Yiddish word to describe President Obama, calling him a Schwarzenegger. Some characterize that as the Jewish equivalent of the M-word. He was asked about that by TMZ. I heard that you called Barack Obama a Schwarzer. Is that um, anything you want to comment on? I'm not answering these stupid questions because you're trying to multiply me into a racist. I called a lot worse the Jews and the Italians, and, and I don't worry about what I call people. And if it bothers you, you're a moron. <laughs> In your face, everybody who's not Jackie Mason. Let's escalate this confrontation. So what else? Wow. I'm a comedian. I don't, I don't dislike anybody. I, of course you I, don't, I don't, but so, why is it that you chose that term? <laughs> you know what? I, by, by God, that was... Uh, that's fantastically entertaining what you just played there. I still can't believe something like this could happen. Everybody, I guess, has their 15 minutes of fame, but don't they 
this was quite the way it was supposed to be. That's the woman with the arrow in her chest, and I'm wondering if that peculiar squeaky voice she's got going on is a function of the perforation oh, of her lung. Did they say how far? Maybe the... they didn't remove the arrow yet. Did it? Well, uh, maybe they just... maybe they have to pull it through her. Oh, that's maybe she just has to live with the arrow embedded in her, like Aaron has that BB underneath the skin on his uh, on his right hand. Maybe it's like that episode of Homicide where the guy uh, falls between the subway and you know he falls between the subway and the platform and he's pinned and they can't take the subway because the minute they take because the subway car pinning him to the platform is the only thing keeping him alive. Maybe they're trying to teach her to live with it. <laughs> That would be, see, if we were the Ben Stiller show, and if this was like 1992 or whatever, we would totally do that as a sketch. She's a lady with an arrow in her chest. Starring Tim Riley as the wacky neighbor. And then it would show her, like, the kooky misadventures as she's trying to put on a shirt in the morning. And Wearing this... an Indian headdress? No. <laughs> Jackie Mason is there. No, I'm just thinking that you know she gets up in the morning and, well, I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll, I guess I'll put on a sweater. And then there's a laugh track. Yes, maybe not. She's a lady with an arrow in her chest. Ah. Can we do that Jackie Mason story so, well, again? Well, he knows I'm a comedian. I don't, I don't dislike anybody. Of course you I don't. But why is it that you chose that term? That's what I do for a living. Yeah, so then who is interviewing him right there? TMZ. So Steve, so Katie Darrell will probably be talking about that. Jack, Jackie Mason's one of those guys you figured that it's like, why even, look, whether it's offensive or not, and that's, I guess, not for me to judge, but I just find Yiddish hilarious anyway, so it's like, it's hard for me to be offended by anything. I mean, really, you could be ta- you could be insulting my mother in just the most vile, horrible, completely socially inappropriate fashion, but if you're doing it in Yiddish, it's like you almost kind of go to go like, well... Okay, and then he kind of, you know, and then he kind of chuck him on the shoulder, and then yeah, then you go have some locks. Um, but Jackie Mason's one of those guys who a is a comedian, b is like a thousand years old, c is just so unbelievably obnoxious in sort of a great way. Anyway, they're just like, what do you like? You're really going to get an apology out of that guy? It's sort of like demanding an apology out of Don Rickles. That's obviously not going to happen. So you know, and he manages to still make a living doing it. Well, you know, and I and I don't really know where Jackie Mason. Like, what does he does he tour? Does he? I think I saw my closed circuit TV in Vegas doing something. Giving <laughs> traffic directions. <laughs> really? How to pack your bags for the airport. Something. If you would like your bed turned down, please put the service needed. And Don? Is that Don? Where are my pictures? Fantastic. Jackie Mason, ladies and gentlemen. Can we do that one more time? We'll just close it out with that sound. Once again, the smooth sounds of Jackie Mason. So what else knows I'm a comedian? I don't, I don't dislike anybody. Of course you I don't, but why is it that you chose that term? That's what I do for a living. That's one. And he'll be still around long after the supporters guy. Uh, seriously, Jackie Mason, will uh, he will outlive you all. Uh, one of the things, not to equate uh, Susan Reynolds and me and family with Jackie Mason in this, think... in this particular context, yes. but... One of the things that we sort of keep meaning to do is uh, Susan Reynolds, who is our marketing director, she goes back home to Chicago to visit her family occasionally. And the last time she went and I failed to do it, I was going to send her home with a, you know, kind of a, a, an MP3 recorder. And she was going to be having her mother do like a Yiddish word of the day for us so we could come on and, you know, you know, schlemiel. No. All right. You're listening to the Rick Emerson radio program on Rock 101 KUFO. It's 503-733-2970. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it is a real honor to welcome to the Rick Emerson show Tommy Lee of Motley Crue and Sully Erna of Godsmack, both touring as part of Crew Fest 2, which is coming to the Amphitheater of Clark County July 28th. That is July 28th. Tickets go on sale this Saturday. Tommy, Sully, how are you guys? All right, all right, all right. All good. 
Thank you for St. Patrick's Day. Thank yeah. you, my friend. Uh, have you uh, hoisted many green beverages already? We're hoisting one right now. Good for you. As we speak. Excellent. It's green and it starts with an H. We will all live vicariously through you. Uh, so first of all, Tommy, I want to say greetings from the home of uh, from the home of Storm Large. Uh, oh, right on. It is uh, she's from Portland, Oregon. You guys are going to be here at the Amphitheater, Clark County, uh, July twenty eighth. With uh, just big question right off the uh, right off the top, when somebody walks into to Crew Fest two, what what do you guys want them to experience? What do you want the experience to leave them with when they walk out? Oh my God. Um, their asses kicked, uh, smiles on their faces that are uh, only repairable by um, plastic surgery. Um, lots you know, of sweat. Yeah, lots of sweat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hey, you Brett, know. you want to what? Yeah. Gonna me forever. <laughs> the, uh, here's and I'll say this: that you, you go to a rock show, and coming out of a good rock show is probably like coming out of a good workout, perhaps some special time with that certain someone, where you, you are exhausted and tired, and you just beat, but at the same time you just feel fantastic about it. And that's you know that's the that's the hallmark of a great rock and roll concert. That's exactly what's going to happen. Trust me. And so somebody said that when times uh, were bad, I forget who said this in rock critic somewhere, said when times were bad that the music uh, gets better. So people, you know, the economic situation is weird or there's, you know, the political you know, the trouble that people just get all stressed out, uh, that people really turn to entertainment in all its forms, especially rock and roll, which is a stress-relieving kind of music. you guys feel that people respond more to what you do in, in times like these when times are kind of ratcheted up? Well, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I think, you know, music is one of those... Uh wonderful things that you know with your if you're happy you know uh you know it makes you you know laugh or even happier if you're sad makes you even sadder like mm -hmm. it's one of those you know what i mean it's one of those things it's, it's uh, therapeutic man it, it definitely is you um it's, it's good man in 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 no matter what times whether good or bad music heals yes sir so it's gonna it's gonna help us get through the crunch man you know we got a, probably a few more years of this garbage before we're back to a comfortable place and hopefully Obama will do this um, yeah. but in the meantime man why not go out and celebrate our lives and our health and great music and great friends and good times and you know just kind of help comfort it while we're, we're passing time right and it is really giving people a lot of a lot of bang for the buck is you know the charm city devils theory of a dead man drowning pool and then of course godsmack and, and motley crew and uh, tommy you guys are performing dr feelgood uh in its entirety this time out when when you were putting that record together when you guys were in there you were recording dr feelgood did you know that it was going to be so definitive could you sense it at the time um uh no i mean you never really know that but um, what I do know is that it, it's the the one record where we all checked out of our, uh, you know, our, our worlds. We all moved up to uh, Vancouver, uh, brought our motorcycles and our equipment, and we just we just checked out. Like we just focused on, you know, the task at hand, and that was to make uh, the best record we could possibly make. So that, that's the only thing I knew at that point. But uh, it's definitely one of the one of uh, you know the best records I think we've ever made. And there's a lot of songs from Dr. Feelgood that have never been performed publicly. I mean, yeah. people, you know, there's Dr. Feelgood, obviously, for the title track, and there's Kickstart My Heart, but there's a bunch of stuff you guys have never taken to the stage. Yeah, I think there's probably five or six tracks off that record we've never even play, ever played live. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Like, for us, it's, it's exciting because uh, we've never really done a show where you play, a, you know, a record in its entirety from top to bottom. So 
uh, it'll be, it, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting for us as well, you know. We're talking to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue and Sully from Godsmack. They're coming to uh, the Amphitheater of Clark County July 28th for Crew Fest 2. And uh, Godsmack has taken some, some downtime. You've been doing a solo project, and that, I guess, is, is wrapping up. Uh, that said, should people expect a new Godsmack record sometime soon? Is that going to be the pipeline? Yeah, hopefully. We're working on it right now. We just started writing, so it's a little bit premature, but we're going to try to um, pump a single out for this summer at least to hold us over until the new record comes out um, and, you know, have something currently working on the radio while we while we get the Crew Fest this summer. And, you know, Crew Fest 2 comes here, and it's a huge event. It's a big, massive event because it's just that, you know, that name. The crew is so iconic. And you think about all those kids who are maybe seeing a, a big rock show for the first time. And so I guess this question is maybe for both of you. Um, for each of you, what was the, the first show, the first concert you saw that just that just blew your mind? You're like, this is what I want to do with with my life. Um, the, I think the first time I really had a reality slap was actually through the Joe Perry Project. And I was 14 years old or 13 years old. Yeah, I've got the rock and rolls again. Um, and it was um, it was at a time where I was really being influenced by you know rock music in general. I dropped out of school and I was just really you know wanted to be. I mean, I'd always been a musician. I'd been playing since I was like three and a half years old um, through my father and things like that. But when I seen when I bought the live bootleg record and I seen the picture of Joe Perry holding up a BC Rich and yeah. he had hair in front of his face with that blonde streak and. That's what made me want to be a rock star, and then I went and seen him live, and I think I was 14, and uh, I drank a six-pack of Lowenbrow, and I threw, <laughs> yeah. up, I threw up for about an hour and a half before I actually got in the building, and then I just remember I was so wasted, and I was holding on to the front of the stage, trying to balance myself, and, uh, and he came out, and it was so loud, and... I just remember going like, wow, I can't, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. I'm so wasted. And so, but that, it was just, it was, it was a very, you know, a surreal moment for me, man. What was know, the, one of my idols. What was the kind of, what was the venue? It was the Joe Perry Project. I mean, it was in the stadium, it was obviously. A, it was almost like a, like a high school auditorium, man. Wow. But it was like, it was called the Lowell Memorial Auditorium. So it was like a, like a, you know, maybe a 1,200 thousand seat theater or something like that that's fantastic and and tommy i guess the same question to you the first show you went to where it just took your brain apart and put it back together dude you're gonna love this um uh the the band was van halen and it was like uh you know their you know debut record right right and dude i I, my parents were like no you're not going i snuck out of the second story window climbed down the roof jumped onto a tree scaled down the tree, jumped in my buddy's car, and we went, man, and I stood on my chair the whole time, and I'm watching, like, like I'm watching Eddie Van Halen play uh, Eruption, and, and, and Alex playing drums, and lighting his gong on fire, and, like, I was just like, what? What, what kind of venue was it? In? It was a uh, Long Beach Arena. Oh, wow. And, uh... First record? Uh, yeah, and they were doing arenas. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it was sick. So that, that's probably my. I want that management. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That's probably like my first uh, kind of you know mind blowing experience uh, as, as far as going to see somebody live. But for uh, you know. I mean, it's just such an amazing, amazing. That's got everything. That's got the juvenile delinquency angle and the outrunning your parents. And right. it's like I can, and yeah, and I can almost hear you getting in the car. And as the car is racing away, it's like I can hear the fog hat or whatever on the soundtrack. It's like, totally, it's 
like a scene from a Twisted Sister video. <laughs> exactly. The ultimate rebel and, and totally pulled it, like got back home, got climbed back up the tree, back, up the roof, back into my room, back into bed. No one ever knew. Love it. That's fantastic. Well, you guys have such, I mean, you guys have all got such great stories. And, of course, the band's autobiography, the Motley Crue autobiography, The Dirt. There's the movie version, which you hear a lot of stuff. Like, maybe, like, I heard Christopher Walken's going to play Ozzy Osbourne or whatever. But I just don't, what, what, you know what the status is? You know if that movie's actually in production? Uh, I know. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know what? Uh, it, it, that this this thing has taken forever. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know uh, Paramount uh, Pictures owns the rights, and uh, you know I, that's like that's like the the never ending question. Who knows when that's going to happen? But uh, I'm sure it will at some point. Do you have a pick for who plays you? Um, well, one of my favorite actors is Johnny Depp. Uh, I love and, and and he's a, he's a, he's definitely a, a music fan and plays music. So. Uh, that'd be cool. I was going to say, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because I actually have selected Johnny Depp to play me in the movie of my life as well. So uh, awesome. We have something else in common. Good choice, dude. Uh, well, you guys, uh, I, I have to say, at the risk of sounding corny, you can always tell when somebody really loves music and when they really, when they really feel what they're doing and when the music really resonates with them. So, um, continued success to both of you guys. Godsmack, Motley Crue, part of Crew Fest Two, is going to be at the Amphitheater, Clark County, July twenty eighth. Tickets on sale this coming Saturday. So, best of continued success in music and life in all things, my friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, uh, brother. We'll talk to you. We'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. There you go. It's Tommy Lee and Sully from Godsmack. Richie, do you want to uh, grab that? Thank you. Excellent. How cool. That was awesome. I know. Not so much me, but them. All right. That was fantastic. And Tommy Lee, even you know though you was... know he's just filthy and dirty, he is just the hottest thing. You know, you should have actually put it to him just that way because I bet he likes hearing that. Because, That's right, baby. And Tommy gives you some of what you need. Yeah. The only awesome part uh, for, for me there was that I didn't just break down into you did a good tears job. like a little girl. And <laughs> I was watching you. I'm like, is he going to break down into a little, like, tricking fanboy? I, you know, I will say this. Uh, I'll say that the one thing that really, really, the one thing that really has helped me to not do that is when we interviewed Peter Chris, whenever it was, last year or something like that. Uh, that was like, that was the trial by fire, was talking to Peter Chris and not just completely snapping and just beginning to gush like an idiot fanboy. So I held it together through Peter Chris, and I'll, and I'll just say this, you know, there's a couple others I haven't talked to, I've never talked to Alice Cooper, you know, we kind of work on that one all the time and it's never really happened. Alice Cooper I haven't talked to, uh, now I'm talking like Johnny Man, Alice Cooper I haven't talked to, but having done, uh, an interview with Peter Chris and made it all the way through, I can probably do anybody without, uh, without gushing and giggling like a nerd. All right. Tommy Lee and Sully from Godsmack. Fantastic. It is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUF. Oh. Indeed. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Live from downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for coming by. It's Rock 101 KUF. My mic processing sounds fantastic today. And I can't tell if they've changed it at all. I think it might just, I think it might be something I had to do with the wax in my ears and the number of functioning cilia I have on any given morning. But I just been making that up. Uh, we want to thank Tommy Lee from Motley Crue who stopped by earlier. He and I had a little moment. Just uh, play it back. About a little time for him, did you? Well, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, he understands that there's a connection there, Tim. And he was, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was cognizant of that fact. So, uh, uh, Crew Fest 2 is coming to the Amphitheater at Clark County. That's coming up July 28th. So tickets go on sale for that. 
this Saturday. It's righteous. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Still to come, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. Later on, we'll do the top five songs you would swear were performed by somebody else. Top five songs you would uh, swear were performed by somebody else. Don't forget tomorrow, the speed pimping guy. And then on Thursday, yes, it's John Wayne Gacy's childhood friend who says, wait. Did you mean Johnny Wayne Gacy? I'm sorry, Johnny Wayne Gacy, who said that Gacy was a bit of a practical joker. There you go. All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Film.com. Now writing for Cinematical, a proud part of the AOL family of things, our good friend Don Taylor. Hello there. How are you? Oh. Is that not working? Oh, and wait. Well, right, let's go for the other mic. Let me switch microphones here. Wait. Just move that and get that out of here. All right. How about... Wait. Oh, another of them work. I'll tell you what. Maybe Don, you should just... John, why don't you, you can use mine. Here you are. But what happens wait, if we both on. want to talk at the same time? Uh, wait, so are these... Wait, so that's just so I can make a mental note. So Sarah's on mic one, Tim is on two. These are so three, three and, and four. four. So Mike's three and four. I hate to be this guy. I'm not saying that they're not turned on, but I'm saying is there like if they if they're if there's that whole row of mysterious buttons up top and I, that I don't know what they do. There's like buttons. that's like one and two and problem. They're all in odd program. And, all right. Well, all right. Here, try hitting them one more time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Hello? Hello? No. Uh, no, I still okay. can't. All right. Well. Lawrence, let's move forward. Well, right. I can see why it would get all confused, because this is FM now, and it's huge and spacious and, and much <laughs> larger and more confusing than, than on and AM. They, you know, it's overwhelming. And, of course, we've got the you know people in the corner of, uh, waving us with palm fronds as yeah. well. So, you know, they've uh, they've got that. All the rock posters and the incense burning. and uh, Actually, can I just say, just real quickly here, before we uh, talk about actual film stuff, because you have got... I was, uh, you and I were emailing about this the other day, and I didn't know if it was actually this week or next week that you and your husband did this fantastic, like, tag team, he said, she said, Twilight thing. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. I should actually make this observation that, so we're in the same studio that we were, uh, in when we were doing the midday show over on our sister station, AM 970. So really nothing has changed. I mean, everything sort of stayed the same for us. Just like some guy somewhere, like, took a plug out of, you know, it's like the old telephone operator where you take a plug out of a thing and you stick it in the hole somewhere. As we did, so we, you know, everything is still the same on our end because this is actually the nicest studio we have ever had. Uh, this, is a, this is an amazing studio, and this studio actually does approximate to some degree what I thought radio studios looked like when I was growing up. Because I think I speak for Tim on this too. That you know, you're a kid, you listen to the radio, and you have this, you have this image of the studio where it is just like gold and glass and it, it just diamond encrusted handles everywhere. And that's what it looks like on television. Whenever there's a movie or a TV show where you have radio people, they always have these really nice, fancy studios. Frasier. Yeah. And I remember watching that movie Talk Radio, the Oliver Stone film with Eric Bogosian, where he's in just like this freaking palace of a studio that takes not up. Not wearing headphones. No, he's not wearing headphones, and, he, and it takes up an entire floor of this skyscraper that looks out over the bejeweled Houston. Uh, you know, the cityscape or whatever, which is just like so completely removed from reality. And a thing that I don't typically talk about, because then you're that guy, then you're like that guy watching a movie going, that's not at all how you fly a plane. Really, the altimeter would be over to the left. They don't know what they're doing. So I'm just saying that this studio is actually pretty fantastic. Wait, hold on. Richie Bristol came in. The microphones were, in fact, Thank unplugged. You. Oh, look at that. All right. Let's try that again. All right. All right. Let's uh, get turn uh, to mic three on. Is, is All right, there, there you go. Why were the microphones unplugged? All right, well, I like that there's like three for, of us sitting cleaning? here looking right at them. I know, I'm not used to looking down there because my screen's right here. I'm like, yeah. yeah, the best part is we were six inches away from that the whole time. Awesome. Was right there what in front of us. What could be wrong? No, in any event. So, thank you for coming by, Don Taylor. Sure. We appreciate it. So, 
Twilight came out, well, I guess it comes out this Friday, because typically they do a Tuesday release with DVDs, right? Yeah, DVDs usually uh, hit stores on Tuesdays, but uh, I guess taking a page from the Harry Potter books, um, they've decided to do this midnight release thing on Friday. By the way, that is the only uh, sense in which the Twilight books or movies take a page of anything from Harry Potter. And it is very, very uh, calculated and really cold-blooded. If you go to uh, the official DVD website, twilightthemovie.com, they have this whole thing where it says, download, you know, look at the DVD party pack. And they have this PDF checklist that they want you to download, which I did not because it's got a black background with pictures of the actors. And I don't have a mommy and daddy who pay for my printer cartridges, okay? <laughs> and um, Let me just use all this toner on this one document. Exactly. It's like, oh, it'll look pretty. It's black with white touch. Who, who did that? But um, it, And it gives you this list of things to do. It's like, well, you know. You check out the uh, the evite section and send these special Twilight evites to your friends. Look, check on, click on the uh, zip code locator to find the stores near you that are doing this. Uh, invite your friends. Call the store ahead of time to ask if you can pre-order a copy. And then it says it actually says on the checklist. No item number five. Dresses your favorite vampire, oh, or wear God. your Twilight T-shirt. I, I'm sorry, they did not have to tell the Harry Potter kids to wear costumes. To dress like wizards, they yeah. did that out of love. This this is the actual Twilight DVD. Carve people the word Jacob into your thigh. Telling kids what to do. And I saw. I was at Lloyd Center the other day. I was uh, walking around, as is my want. And the thing about Lloyd Center is it works for me on, like, three different levels. Because, A, it's the closest mall to my house, uh, living in glorious southeast Portland, as I do. B... It is just the panoply of human existence on parade. I mean, it's like one, you know, it's like a fully immersive, you know what it is? It's like a fully immersive zoo meets The Sims uh, game. But it's sort of like The Sims, like, uh, you know, it's like The Sims sort of slovenly edition. Uh, you get the, you know, uh, and where instead of like achievements, sort of like career or charisma, the achievements are all like pregnant at 16 and poor fashion sense. Uh, you know, trans fats, flooding system. <laughs> So I was walking around, but somebody did have the best shirt. It was uh, some sort of angry, bespectacled youth. Uh, he was, I guess, probably 16, 17. And he just sort of had that sullen kind of like, I hate all things everywhere look. And he's wearing a shirt that said, real vampires don't sparkle, which I thought was the best thing ever. Because you can sort of, and I'm not going to lie, I, I read the, the first Twilight book, after which I just pulled the ripcord. There's just no way I could read the rest. And I saw the movie with my wife, because I wanted to sort of be up on you know what the what the young people were talking about. And it's not like you can't reinvent uh, vampire mythology, because uh, there's, uh, there's that film, Let the Right One In, which is this Swedish vampire film that came out uh, last year, which is fantastic, and which they've gotten the Cloverfield guy uh, to ruin or direct uh, you know, uh, next year in America. So you can sort of do it. It's just that, like, the Twilight, and I understand it's a world of, like, vampires and whatever, but, like, even inside the world of the movie, there's, like, nothing makes any sense. There is no internal consistency. The thing that I kept seizing on, and Sarah uh, saw it with her, uh, her uh, other friend Sarah the other day, is that you have this movie where, what's his name, Edward is a vampire. Spoilers, lol. And at, his eyes change color. Sometimes they're, they're smoldering butterscotch. <laughs> and sometimes, like, when he gets angry or hungry or whatever, peeved, they just turn jet black. And the best part is he's living in this tiny, tiny little town, Forks, Washington, where no one knows that Edward and his family are vampires. And yet he sits there in class occasionally with his eyes just like one big pupil, like just these huge black dots in the middle of his face and like no one ever notices no one ever goes hey dude i think there's did you get something in your eye they're all black well and the adoptive father who is like 10 years older 
maybe than the kids he's adopted. Uh, the minute he walks on screen, they're in a hospital scene, and he's a hospital doctor. He walks in, and he's just like got this weird, creepy, pale, pallid, glowy yeah. skin. And the minute you look at him, you go, "Vampire!" Totally. And like, how does everyone in town not know this? He sort of looks like one of the like uh, like Edgar Winter meets Barnabas Collins. You kind of look at me, go, yeah, you're, uh, yes, you're the spooky guy, aren't you? So, hey, by the way, just FYI, before we talk about your actual review of Twilight, Johnny Depp has optioned Dark Shadows, the TV series, for a film. Ah, right oh, there, that's win, is what that is. I like is. that. All right, uh, so Twilight, you and your husband did this kind of a, a like a, a, a his versus hers, a battle of the sexes take. I'm in the process Twilight. of still writing it because I realized I, I was watching it last night and then I realized it was getting late and I had to get up at the Scott awful hour to be here this morning. So I've made Cry it. Cry me a river. I've only, I've only made it about halfway through the movie. Really? I, you yes. have to get up and God awful. Tell me about it. Tell me how times is hard for you, Don. All right. I'm sorry. Was that bitterness? Go ahead. I'm sorry. What what time is it now? It's still too early, yes. and I know you've been at work for seven twenty like hours. But but yeah. So uh, but we yeah. I'm making the notes. We're watching the uh, as the sparkle thing was one example of my husband uh, watching the movie and saying, you know, he goes out into the sun and he sparkles. Vampires don't sparkle in the sun. That was the weirdest thing because I didn't read the books and I'm like, wait, what's going to happen? I'm like, does he turn into a skeleton when he's in I know, the sun? If he looks like, like, that's what Pat said. He's like, like if, if, he, if he looks like anything in the sun, he'd look like a corpse. He turns if, into a stripper. No, basically. he looked like he was sweating. I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm asking Sarah, I'm like, what's going on with him? I'm like, does he, so he turns sweaty in the sun? I like the way you perspire uncontrollably. Yeah, yeah so the sun should not be a beautifying agent for uh, for vampires. It's it's a thing that, that harms them. Yeah. But um, the thing that was striking me about the film what i saw was because uh oddly enough i never finished the well i did actually finish the book i just then promptly forgot pretty much everything about it because searching it for it in your really, mental cache to delete yeah because it was really kind of boring yeah and so i saw the i'm watching the movie and i thought i, I was of two minds on it on the one hand other than the pervasive blue green filter that was on everything even when they were indoors yeah. um i thought Catherine hardwick made an okay movie. I mean, it, I didn't think that her work was that bad. The source material was horrible, though. I mean, it's like, the thing is, it's if you take out the vampires, and you can very easily take out the vampires, it's just your run-of-the-mill teen romance story. It really is. It is kind of like they've... Uh, it's not, I was going to say Smallville, but it's not even Smallville. What was that terrible... Was it that... Is it Robinson Crusoe? Or what was that thing that the... There was some TV series that uh, uh, launched last year, but it was where they take it sort of a classic tale, and they just, you know, they'd put a bunch of um, put a bunch of uh, very sort of prettified, uh, sort of glistening uh, young people in it, and it, 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 the vampires almost did seem kind of like an afterthought. So that that it just it's it's just struck me as very unhealthy as far as their relationship. That these I I could I could just devour you at any moment. You must stay away from me. And I'm thinking, is this something young girls really find hot? Having a guy look at them like she's a big juicy burger. Looking at you like you're made like you're a sandwich made out of pork. Uh, we'll have more with Don Taylor from Film.com. Also Lisa Desjardins from CNN coming up. This is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Broadcasting in ADHD. Oh, look at Bird. This is the Rick Emerson Show. What? On Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson radio program on Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to ye. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Still ahead, Don Taylor from Film.com. We'll talk Battlestar Galactica. 
Uh, and we'll ask the magical question, Adama or Picard? See, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com are going to join us. We'll have the top five. Top five songs you would swear were performed by somebody else. Top five songs you would swear were performed by somebody else. That is coming up in the next hour, as well as more news with Tim Riley. This, though, from the Hill, is CNN Radio correspondent to the stars and stylish woman about town. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Well, hello there. Happy St. Patrick's Day. And to you as well. How's Thank life? You how are things? A great, great. You know, I made the obligatory St. Patrick's Day cookies. I'm very excited. I, I'm a big fan of St. Patrick's Day. You're just a fan of comestibles in all the various shapes and sizes, aren't you? Are you Are you the one who made the? You make cupcakes or something? When there's some CNN bake sale, let me ask you. This. Am I hallucinating this whole memory? Is this something I've created in my brain? Did you, in fact, at one time? bake something for some sort of a CNN or some sort of a Capitol Hill bake-off and you then lost to the guy from Al Jazeera? Right, right. No, you're not making that up. Al Jazeera Jeff. Okay. Remember Al Jazeera Jeff with the Tracy Flick initials on all of his cups? That's right. Hey, you know, now that we're a kooky morning show, maybe I should get a sidekick so we can call him Al Jazeera Jeff. <laughs> you could. Jeff Ballou, he'd probably do it. He'd and probably... then we'd... we'd... We, yeah, he he beat me. He, we, I, you know, I I just made I made like little mini pecan pies, and he the those Al Jazeera guys they whipped into a baking frenzy. I was like, and I brought some fruit for the people who wanted healthy food. Forget about it. Him and the C-SPAN guy were out of control. I was trying to make the whole like he was like he really was on a baking crusade or something, and that doesn't work on like any level. That's that's just inaccurate and also isn't funny. So I <laughs> that's. that's that's, I'm just going to show you there. You know what that is? That's a little. Uh, that's like a joke that came off the assembly line, not fully formed. So I'm throwing <laughs> it back into the recycle uh, cycle pan, and I'll try to use it. You know, at some point in the future. So, hey. oh, good God Almighty! Hey, so uh, we yeah. seem to go in cycles here with uh, uh, all this stuff. There's a huge pile of stories that are all interwoven. And there's the deficit. There's the Dow. There's uh, bailouts. There's right. Citigroup. There's AIG. There's General Motors. And it seems like this is my perception. It seems like there is not sufficient time or mental firepower right now in the country because everybody's so preoccupied with trying to keep their job and trying not to go bankrupt and whatever. We don't have time to sort of multitask or to parallel process. So what we do is about every three days we will seize some company or entity and we will fixate on them for about 72 to 96 hours, and then we move on to something else. And so it was AIG like about a month ago, and now it's back to AI uh, being AIG this week, and I don't really know why that is. Yeah, they're, they're, gen they're kind of in heavy rotation in general. They're a power. They are, they are yeah. a power. They are, they are just going to be around. They'll, they'll have probably a hot two or three days every couple of weeks, I think, for the foreseeable future. And is there some is there something that they have done that's particularly vile in the last few days, or have they just, you know, or we just, did we right. just get bored with Citigroup? And somebody threw the dart at the board of right. initials, right? No, actually, what happened is over the weekend, AIG paid out 165 million in bonuses. This is the whole bonus. Uh, situation that we've been talking about, and and it happened just this weekend. I think it was the Wall Street Journal reports that it was 370 employees that got those bonuses. You would do the math, or I did. I literally did the long division because I'm blocked from using the calculator on my computer, and which is a whole other story. But it comes out to about four hundred and forty-six thousand dollars per AIG bonus employee. So everyone that got a bonus got about. Average four hundred forty-six thousand. Here's how tiny my brain is. It, it, my brain is it, really my mental processing. I mean, I have all the uh, I have all the mental wattage of a caraway seed in the early mornings. So this is the thing that I am now fixated on. Not so much AIG, not so much uh, bailout, not so much the impact on me, Rick Emerson, taxpaying citizen. It's on the fact that you did this by hand in long division. You divided what into what? 
Yeah, I divided uh, 370 into 165 million. <laughs> Of course you did. I am actually looking at the paper. And then I went, I did actually two other bits of long division because there's more bonuses coming. So the the tougher, I guess the tougher one was uh, I divided 619 million by 4,200. Did you double check your work? Did you go back and do it again, or did you were you supremely confident in your answers? No, I went. I went through because I knew I'd be reporting it, so I kind of went through it again. Yeah. Well, here's a question. Uh, Didn't really just get a calculator. (laughs) It would really be easier. Well, apparently you don't need to with your ENIAC-like brain. So (laughs) the uh, there's a whole Howard Beale sensibility in the American public right now, where you're just like, but they ought to give that money back. They shouldn't be allowed to keep those bonuses. And a lot lot of lawmakers are beating that drum. But then that doesn't seem like that's even really legal. Like we can't make it make them get it back. That's the thing is these are it's it's money that's been contracted supposedly but you know we haven't seen the fine print we don't know what the details are and I'm sure there's not one giant contract for all of these people there's very likely hundreds of different contracts regardless um let's say that let's say that absolutely legally AIG has to pay these bonuses what's happening in Congress now they are considering uh this is just one idea and it's early but they're considering drafting a special surtax that would only tax those AIG employees who got those bonuses, and it would tax the entire bonus. So they would have to. So they would then have to pay a massive sort of fee on top. It'd of be it. A, it would be the entire the entire bonus, whatever they got from the bonus that wasn't already paid to taxes, would be recouped by the government. That's, That's the idea. And that seems strange. That I mean, Michael Moore is probably busy doing something else right now. He's either probably working on some massive project. But doesn't it strike you as a little odd that we haven't had some sort of team of mini documentary reporters or sort of agitators yeah. who've been out there tracking down where like these AIG guys live? Yeah. You know, like when after they went to. When they get the first round of bailout money and they all went to California and they were like hanging out getting spa facials or something for like 400 grand, it surprises I, yeah. me that nobody has tracked them down and just shoved a camera in their face and asked them like, what is, you know, like, how, how can you sleep, sir? I really want to track these guys down. And I, you know, I mean, it does, it, it does become class warfare and you've got to kind of watch it there. You know, you don't want to get full-blown Russian revolution necessarily, although some people say, that, you know, that they do, but... You know, I, I no do. one says that. That's a thing you're making up. Some people say we want full-scale Soviet revolution. No one says no. that. People in my family do say that. Somebody's going to be put on a watch list. I'm just telling you. Uh, I'm I, just telling well, you. I've got the one brother who is a conservative talk radio fan. I've got another brother who, who really, if the Communist Party was viable, he'd be in. His name's going to go on a briefcase next to a bottle of booze right now. All right, I'm, I'm, be proud of I'm, Both of them would be proud of their stances. I'm way, way over time, so I have to uh, skedaddle, as they say. But as always, it was, uh, it was enlightening and informative, and I'm impressed that you could do long division literally like in a billion. So well done on that. <laughs> All right, thank you, Lisa Desjardins from The Hill. Fantastic. Okay. As a matter of fact, Andrew Como, the Attorney General of New York, wants to get a subpoena to name names. Of the people uh, oh, the, at the, people who AIG. Got the All yeah. right, excellent. All right, Sarah Dillon, are we uh, doing this? Then we're going to do that. Then that other thing? Excellent. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming by. 503-733-2970. During the break, Sarah Dillon was saying that at the Warp Tour several years back, she saw the guy from Lit who was wearing orange pants and a wife beater and who was, in fact, the hottest thing ever. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking him up on uh, Google Images. Not not as good looking. He'd probably be your Facebook friend at this point. Were they like 
tight rock and roll orange pants, or were they like a guy picking up trash by the side of the road? Trash no. gummy pants? No, they were like the tight-fitted ones, like, you know, like little greaser boys would wear, oh. like leaning up against a car that matched them. Excellent. We're here with Don Taylor from Film.com. In just a moment, we will uh, talk about what you've got uh, in your column this week, and then we'll do a little uh, Battlestar Galactica discussion. Tim Riley will be at the news desk. We'll do today's top five. The top five songs you would swear were performed by somebody else. Uh, and then later on in the hour, we will uh, replay uh, the little moment I shared with Tommy Lee from Motley Crue and Sully from Godsmack. That was uh, earlier in the program. We'll play that back at the end of the uh, 8 o'clock hour. So be listening for that. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer. And I think I've just called, started calling him the speed pimpin' guy. I know he has an actual name. Wait, hold on a second. His name is, His name is Lord Shahid Adam. Adam. Adama. Adam. It, it says that it's pronounced Saddam, but without an S. Um. Whatever. That's Edith. a good selling point. <laughs> he's 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 written a book called Speed Pimpin. Do you know the name he goes by when he's writing, Sarah? Do you know his nom de plume? No. Pepe Lamac. Are you kidding me? Oh, that's the best name ever. Right you there. Should, okay, tomorrow you should totally have him try to speed pimp me on the air. Pardon me, Mr. Lamac. We shouldn't say that you're the. We shouldn't say that you're like the producer co-host. So we should say that like you're uh, just some some skirt. Some some fluff. You just saw me like street. wandering around the hallways. From the stenography pool. Exactly. One of the <laughs> Kelly girls uh, has come into the, uh, the studio, Mr. Lamac. Uh, we're wondering if you could, in fact, uh, could you, in fact, mac her over the phone? Please to impress. Now, wouldn't speed pimping actually be that you were whoring someone out rather than trying to pick them That's up? That's true. If it was speed pimping, he'd be like, he'd be hooking you up with like. Uh, well, he's whoring himself, isn't he? But speed, well, that's a good point, Don. I don't know. Maybe that's a subtlety that might be lost on Pepe Lamac, but who's to say? I'll just read the description here, and then we'll uh, we'll move on. This is tomorrow. Pepe Lamac can get any girl he wants, and for that matter, even those he did not mean to get or want. This is written so poorly. It is so poorly Is he aware of how close his name is to Pepe Le Pew? I think... Uh, Does he I have th- a pencil-thin mustache? <laughs> Pardon me, sir. Are you wearing an ascot? A cigarette holder. Uh-huh. Meet the world's master smooth talker, the ultimate ladies' man. Apparently, smudged by white gloves. It's, it says here he's like the Continental from that SNL sketch. Women flock to him by the dozens, and that's just for the early part of the day. His secret, <laughs> he makes great coffee. His secret stems from his intense fascination with the human brain. I want to know what happens at the end of the day. I'm trying to read this important <laughs> biographical information, at and the you end are. Of the day they flock I have away. A, an intense. Oh no. Speed pimping is. Pepe's account of his astoundingly high success rate with the opposite sex in sensual, vivid detail. <laughs> his ability to pick up any woman about any time, this book insists, is out of the unfathomable mystery and power of the subconscious that Pepe dared to probe. Who wrote this? They groveled at my feet and begged for more. Didn't Eddie Murphy do this on SNL as Velvet Jones? I think he did, actually. Did he send us a, a copy of the book, at least? No. No, he did not. So Pepe's getting all of this free publicity for no book. Uh, we should demand that he put it in the mail tomorrow. We should de- we should demand that we hear the sound of the post office box uh, you know, closing behind the book on its way to us before we'll put him up. So that's tomorrow, uh, as well as uh, Dorothy Carcassari. And Thursday, uh, we'll be talking to, I believe, I don't think it's been locked in yet, but uh, we're angling for Adam West on Thursday, as well as, uh, what's his name, the guy who was John Wayne Gacy's best friend, who said that, quote, He's going to talk about their struggles, which is sort of interesting and compelling and awkward all at once. All right. Uh, news from Tim Riley in just a moment. Don Taylor from Film.com is here. Uh, so we talked about Twilight. You've got a call up this week about Spielberg's upcoming. Is, now, is this movie actually being made, this Lincoln thing, or is it just like one of those? Because Spielberg does this where he'll throw out an idea for a movie and then everybody assumes he's going to do it. 
And then it kind of goes on the back burner. He was going to do that uh, movie about the Chicago 7 for the longest time, and that didn't really happen either. Well, so. it's, it's pretty common for uh, producers and directors to start a project, and, and it never quite comes to fruition. He's been trying to get this Lincoln movie made for like four years. So, um, and yeah, and for the entire four years, Liam Neeson has been attached to it, and I guess Liam Neeson is supposed to still do it. But uh, no, the, it's being, uh, there's a script being written right now by Tony Kushner, who wrote uh, Angels in America, and he gave a little speech on Lincoln because he's writing the script at Harvard at some Lincoln conference and talked about the... the Lincoln. And talked about the movie and said that uh, it had been greenlit. Lincoln. That was a pun. Lincoln. Bastards, that's funny. Ah, whatever. Oh, that would be so... My microphone was off, but I did laugh. All right. All right. That would be great if there really was something like that, though. Just just a, a hotel like lobby <laughs> full of guys dressed like Lincoln. And you kind of you do like a quick listing off of the guys you think could play Abraham Lincoln. And I have to say, even though it doesn't seem like... On first blush, it seems like it might be a poor fit, but Leonardo DiCaprio... I could kind of see the. You just don't let him eat for like a month. Uh, don't let him, and then grub him up a little bit, and maybe give his uh, give his face a little sanding. Yeah, because he can do anything. Kind of the no, see, I see Hugh Jackman. You just see Hugh Jackman and everything. No, I don't. I don't find him attractive, but I see him playing Lincoln. Well, my two favorite ideas were uh, Clive Owen because I would love to have like this whole scene uh, focusing on the Baltimore plot. Uh, where he's like speeding in an Audi on his way to his uh, inauguration, and uh, and like uh, Ben Kingsley could play uh, Cipriani, the the barber who who supposedly was going to assassinate, him, and he's like leaning out the car window and slashing at him with a trace razor while they're driving their cars. And then cars. he repels in through a window and lands there, you know, just yes. on, lands right behind the podium to give the uh, to give the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah, that would be awesome. That's wonderful, excellent. And the other, and my other favorite was Kate Blanchett because I think. Uh, <laughs> You can go with the whole androgyny route because ostensibly Lincoln was bisexual. Well, he also had that nutty wife of his locked up in a basement. Exactly. So, which is kind of hot. So, I think you're confusing uh, Lincoln with Jane Austen. No, I'm. Uh, or, or no, 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 no. Jane Austen is that book filled with zombies. Well, oh, that, yeah. that doesn't matter. All right. Uh, <laughs> final pop culture note here. So, Battlestar Galactica, of course, uh, Court and Fatboy uh, on the, this very fine station, Rock 101 KUFO. They show Battlestar at the Baghdad every Friday. This coming Friday is the final episode, the series finale. Although they're going to be doing you know, the Caprica series and some other prequels and sequels and whatnot. But this is going to be the final episode. So you were there last Friday. It was the penultimate episode, the first oh, half of, of this, I guess, the two-parter season finale. I was sitting right behind Katie Sackoff's mom. Let me just say <laughs> this about that. So I got there uh, kind of late. Tim and Sarah and I and, uh, and and Richie were all there, and we went up and kind of said hello to the crowd, and hey, we're the, we're the kooky morning show. And I ripped show. my pants as we were stepping onto the See, stage. Now you know how step. And do you know how I didn't say that on Monday? Yeah. Yesterday, I, I did not pass along that piece of room, and then Sarah got station, her pants ripped. Because <laughs> I almost fell forward. Seriously, because there wasn't a step, and the no. stage was about three feet up, so I was like, and it went... And she and leaves over, and she tells me that. We're getting up on stage, and Sarah says... By the way, I just ripped my pants. <laughs> I just ripped my pants. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I will have the I will have the decorum intact not to reveal that fact. But I'm glad you did, so now I can point. Okay, it out. well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you didn't reveal it on stage that everyone could. No, and I, giant for many years actually, uh, I went up on stage one time this long time ago, like 15 years ago. I went up on stage at some station event somewhere, and I realized later that my zipper had been down, whatever. So. For a long time, I had this really uh, compulsive thing about checking my zipper repeatedly. But, of course, in true OCD fashion, like I used to have to, I used to, I don't do this much anymore, but I used to have this thing where I would leave, I'd be at the, you know, we'd be at the mall or whatever, and I'd be walking around shopping, doing, you know, what have you, and I would actually have to leave the mall, walk all the way out to the parking lot and check to see that my parking brake was on. Like, for no reason. Who needs a park? It wasn't like I was parking on, on the side of Mount Fuji. So like I would just be in a perfectly flat parking lot. I gotta go check my safety brake for no reason. But I used to be like with my with my zipper, um, and so the the deal with my zipper is, 
um, that uh, uh, that you know I would have to check it compulsively, and I and I did make a conscious effort to to stop doing that. Hey Richie, well yeah, we'll we'll do that in just one second. So let her know, yeah, like like 15 seconds from now we'll do that. Um, but anyway, so I made a note not to do that. But the the episode was actually really, really great. And Katie Sackhoff walked by me as she came in, Starbucks. She came in, and she was, un- improbably, was even more beautiful in person than she is. On- and maybe that's because I'm bad, so they kind of grubby her up a little bit. No, she is a beautiful, beautiful woman. Yeah, she was really gorgeous. And then I stood at the back of the, uh, of the theater and watched the episode because there was no seating left. Two or three times, she ducked out to make a cell phone call. She walked right by me. And as creepy as this sounds, I will, in fact, reveal this. I did that thing of after she would walk by me, you know, because somebody walks by you, and about half a second later, then, like, this sort of breeze goes with them. And I was, in fact, waiting half a second and going, <laughs> to see if I could get, like, her perfume, just to see what, you know, see you know, what, what scent does Katie Sackhoff wear. That was, like, I, A, the creepiest thing you've ever said, and B, the creepiest sound you've ever made. I'm not going to lie. Uh, well, I was going to say, I did that once. I was at the comedy store in Los Angeles, and Paul Michael Glazer came in, and I was, like, a huge Starsky and Hutch fan when I was a kid. <laughs> And he walked right past me, and as he walked by, I kind of tilted my head over, and I sniffed him as he walked by, and he smelled like cologne and leather, and it was delightful. Smelled like shag carpeting and musk. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's welcome to the Rick Emerson Show our good friend Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. Katie Darrell, how are you on this fine Tuesday? Hi, good morning. I'm doing well. How are you guys? I am fantabulous. Are you settling into these hours? I really am. I think that we are. uh, We have now reached our our momentum or our uh, something or other. I think we're we're in the groove, as the uh, as the kids used to say. Or you just must be sleep deprived and you're just delirious. That's the thing is, I actually lost all my cognitive function to the point that I no longer can differentiate between happy and sad. So (laughs) if I if I burst into tears at some point during this phone call you you'll know why so oh, i'm expecting it actually <laughs> well i'll try not to disappoint what is uh, what is up in the world of tmz well i'm not sure if you're really up into uh lindsey lohan but boy she has just been the subject of tmz for the last couple of days there's been one problem after another with this girl last night she was out at sky bar and her driver drove into a door uh at the hotel slash club and i know you think to yourself a door you know how, how do you do that a it's it's a door and b you know they're kind of obvious well, these are these, like, art sculpture doors that are literally, like, 18 to 25 feet tall, okay? Fantastic. They're ginormous. They are metal bronze sculptures. How someone hits these, I have no idea. Luckily, she wasn't the one driving. It was her driver. Uh, and this is just all on the heels of a bunch of, you know, problems that happened with Lindsay earlier this week. Her lawyer had to go to court because apparently she wasn't appearing uh, at her court-appointed alcohol programs because she had a conflict of interest. So there was a warrant out for her arrest. So the you know lawyer had to go in there and clean up that mess for her. She was fighting with her uh, girlfriend slash BFF, uh, Samantha Ronson, the other day. Someone threw something out a window and broke glass, and the cops were called on the scene. So a lot going on with Lindsay Lohan. Uh, nothing with her career, though. It does seem like the instant uh, somebody like that, you know, it does seem to be starlets, too. The instant they become famous... I think that as part of the deal, they get they get like a development deal, and they get an agent, and they get PR, and they get limo service. Also, it ought to just be required that Dr. Drew go to their home immediately and start sussing out the family problems, like not like when they're ten years old. Like as soon as they hit the, the you know the, the you know the, like the Mickey Mouse Club or whatever, as soon as they get on the Disney Channel, that's when you got to start solving all the family problems because it's nothing you notice like right away. It's like a tree, it's like a seed that you plant, and then about ten years later, when they're like twenty-five, that's when it just comes out of nowhere and just it starts destroying everything. It really does, and, and what's really interesting is that you can always see kind of. You know, a, a little bit of it coming out beforehand. I know you mentioned 25, but you look at the Miley Cyrus, and listen, she continued to put all those inappropriate photos up online and 
texting them to people or sexting and everything. And, and we're still calling this girl a darling. And it's like, listen, she's going to turn around and do something totally crazy. And everyone's going to get to say, I told you so, except for, you know, the public servant. Well, you know, and like I think all of us have had that uh, experience where we have friends, uh, you know, or colleagues or who have you know, they have kids that are like 10, 11, 12, and, you know, whether they're boys or girls, like the kid is already like kind of a troublemaker, and they're a little, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and they're just get, they're just kind of sharp enough to really start to be a pain. And you will, you know, you'll talk to the friend, and you'll be like, dude, you know, that, you know, that she's a handful. You know, your, your boy, he's a handful. And they'll go, I know, and he's not even a teenager yet. And you can just see the fresh hell on the horizon. And this is exactly the same. It's just like that same teenager with an infinite amount of uh, money and uh, fame and power. So good luck to you, Billy Ray. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Agreed. And this is why I use birth control. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm out. All right. And all without crying. But I'll try to do it next time. Katie Darrell, it is always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week. There you go. Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. I dig her. All right. Fantastic. All right. uh, We'll go to the news desk with uh, Tim Riley. Uh, Very quickly, Don Taylor, where do you come down on the big Adama versus Picard question? Uh, Adama, I think, is way cooler. And I would rather have to. I would love to have him running my ship. But if I had to have, like, a crazy weekend, uh, it would be Picard. One one weekend of passion. All right. Don Taylor from Film.com, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Quit or commit suicide. That's the advice for those AIG guys, the guy that got the $165 million in bonuses. And that advice comes from Iowa Republican in Cedar Rapids, Charles Grassley. The first thing that would make me feel a little bit better towards them if they'd uh, follow the Japanese example and come before the American people and take that deep bow and say, I'm sorry, and then either do one of two things, resign or uh, go commit suicide. <laughs> wow. You know, here's the thing. You've been teasing this story for wow. like an hour and a half. Yeah. It's still delivered. It's still so much better than I thought it would be. And that that guy is delivering it in that sort of hayseed voice makes it even better. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Can you just play that one more time? Sure I can. Over and over again. I'll loop it. Great old day on the uh, HD. The case. first thing that would make me feel a little bit better towards them if they'd uh, follow the Japanese example and come before the American people and take that deep bow and say, I'm sorry, and then either do one of two things, resign or uh, go commit suicide. <laughs> and then I'm going to get me some stretching taffy. That's wonderful. Now we have New York Attorney General Como is serving subpoenas to AIG to name names. Who got those big bonuses? No one is trying to micromanage anyone's business. But we do want fairness, and we want to prevent the absurd use of tax dollars. It seems to be going uh, going on there. Uh, I don't know. All right. Well, then I think about uh So that is, wait, is that Mario Cuomo's kid? Yes, I, I uh, believe so. All right, I can't. This, I'm still back on just on, on what's his name, on Cooter or whoever, talking about how those, the guy's got to get on television and kill themselves. That's not yeah. the uh, Rick Emerson show. We, of course, wish a long life and the best of health uh, to all elected officials and all corporate officials everywhere. I don't, uh, I'm not, of course, advocating any kind of violent end to this, although it would be deeply satisfying in the truest sense. And it's nice to see another woman in the limelight besides the Octo Mom. Here's a New York lady who was shot with the arrow. I thought I had been hit by a, maybe a softball or something, you know. And I look down and I see an arrow protruding out of my stomach area. And I started to scream. 
I can't believe I we've done this. I can't believe something like this could happen. Everybody, I guess, has their 15 minutes of fame, but don't think this was quite the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> and I can't believe... She has worse now than she did when it first happened. Well, my thing is, like, does she have a leaking <laughs> along or something? Punctured. So I got two questions. One, how is it possible that we've had this story for two days and we haven't made, like, a bad Cupid joke or something? You know what I mean? Oh, that's true, because Valentine's Day is over. Doesn't it seem like there ought to be, uh, like, the next time, like, if she gets a boyfriend or something? Here's the thing. I'll tell you this right now. In New York, the inevitable, uh, they're putting a flag in her file right now. And someday, if she ever finds Mr. Wright or whatever, they'll do a follow-up and they'll be like, you know, remember that woman who was shot with an arrow in the Bronx? Well, Cupid may have hit his mark a little, uh, you know, too something, roughly something or whatever. Cupid may have been a little too aggressive, but it looks like the results were exactly as intended. <laughs> and then they just, like, cut to her, you know, and then she's looking like, with her iron lung or whatever going, I can't believe I found it And also, how far into the arrow go? Did it puncture a lung? Because she's got this weird, it's like she sprung a leak or something. I don't know. I mean, there's no... Because I mean, you got like a hold on, you got like a. I mean, that's a hard. That is hard to pierce through. But I mean, it was. But, it, but I mean, it pierced enough. Like if it just hit your skin, it would have fallen right out. Like I mean, it was. It was enough that it was stuck in, right? Yeah. So that means it must have gone between ribs or something. Oh, that's just freaky. And plus, it doesn't help that I don't really know what the human body looks like. Mm. I only get the vaguest. Like in my head, it's all like you just take this off, and then it's just a bunch of black stuff and guts. You know, that is not even really organized. Like it's sort of shoved in there, like 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 Fibber McGee's closet. So. All right. Uh, here's Tim Riley at the news desk. There we go. Jackie Mason in trouble for using the Jewish equivalent of the N-word. And the TMZ guy tried to ambush him, and he would have none of it. I heard that you called Barack Obama a schwarzer. Is that um, anything you want to comment about? I'm not answering these stupid questions because you're trying to multiply me into a racist. I called a lot worse the Jews and the Italians, and, and I don't worry about what I call people. And if it bothers you, you're a moron. So there. So, what, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I don't dislike anybody. Of course you I don't, but why is it that you chose that term? That's what I do for a living. Yeah, that's right. Uh, is the old I've thing? used worse than that defense. Well, and also, well, and plus, it, it, it's here's the thing. Again, the, the, the way to my heart is to use Yiddish and to use that particular Yiddish syntax. Is it, uh, is it Jerry Stiller that was uh, that's the voice on King of the Hill? He's, he's Hank Hill's fa- uh, stepfather. Uh, on King of the Hill, Hank Hill's mom got remarried to somebody. Uh, they live in Arizona, and I do believe it's Jerry Stiller who does the voice. And he does, you know, and he has, like, the great sort of delivery and the great accent. And Bobby Hill is just fascinated with the way he talks. It's like, it's the cool way that people talk in Arizona, Dad, because it's a whole lot of, like, you know, on the grill, I'm going to put these ribs. And it's like the whole weird, like, the object and the, the preposition, of the, they're all, like, moved around. And he's doing that whole, a whole lot worse, I've called the Jews. And it, there's just nothing that can't be made funnier when it's put through, like, the, the, the Yiddishizer, which just sort of takes everything and just, and it's like it takes all the words and puts them into a Scrabble bag and then throws them back out in an almost random order. Uh, I, that is really enough to distract me from whatever the horrible content of the sentence might be. So, all right. Oregon's unemployment rate almost 11%. To cheer us all up, the Hanford Nuclear Plant is offering public tours again. Fantastic. Yay. You're going to make an appointment to go, though. Uh, some of the things you're going to be seeing are the historic B reactor, the groundwater remitation project, and also, uh, let's see, oh, the active burial ground. Is that for employees? Well, not publicly. Uh, that is in my hometown, of course. And it, you, it's actually funny you say this because uh, I'm going back to see. I'm going to see my mom's uh, in a couple of weeks. I don't know, two or three weekends. So I'm going to be going to see your mom. 
Yeah, because I'm a terrible son. I sort of... Uh, I Are kind you of, a little fluffy dog? It's not that I intentionally avoid my family anymore. I used to intentionally avoid them. I used to go out of my way just to make sure that they couldn't find me or contact me at all so that I never had to see any of them. And I've, I've evolved past that. I'm now at the point where I don't mind seeing them. It's just I forget to do it. Uh, so it's like I'll look up and like eight months have gone by and I haven't talked to my mom. So, but fortunately, you know, my, my wife is sort of the familial alarm clock in that sense. So she reminded me we got to go see my mom. So we're going to go to Kennewick, which of course right near the Hanford nuclear plant. And the last time I was there, I wanted to go on a tour, but they closed it down. Well, meanwhile, all, all the while saying it's not because it's cancerous. The public is in no danger at any time, but it's the weirdest place. I mean, I've talked before. You go to the Hanford Museum and one of the little geegaws you can buy on the way out for 50 cents is a clear glass marble that they have saturated with gamma radiation to the point that it's black. And you buy it for 50 cents, and they put it in an envelope, and they give it to you. Meanwhile, all the while saying, like, no, it's totally safe. I got one at my desk. Bought it last year. It's so. a great stocking stuffer. <laughs> buy one for the kids, won't you? All right. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Just ahead, we'll do the top five. The top five songs you would swear were performed by somebody else. And later on, we'll uh, replay our interview with Sully from Godsmack and Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. That's just ahead. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Well, Sarah, creepy is as creepy does. Um, yes, but... It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming by. It is 503-733-2970. You pen. Yeah, now I've got it again. All right, there we go. That's a little behind the scenes. Pen back in my hand. All is right with the world. It's 503-733-2970. Don't forget, coming up at 9 o'clock, it is Smells Like the 90s at 9 with Buzz immediately following this very fine radio program. All this week celebrating the release of Pearl Jam's 10 reissue with a series of interviews highlighting tracks. Uh, today's track is Once, which is the opening cut, which is a fantastic song. I remember the first time, not to, not to be that guy, but I remember way back, I am that guy. I remember hearing that album, and I certainly got my, my, my problems with any, any number of bands from the Seattle scene. I got my thoughts on, you know, on some of the music that came out of that period. But you know what? Doesn't matter who you are. I, I don't care what walk of life you're from. You heard that the, the, the 10 from Pearl Jam, and it's just, I mean, from that opening cut, and that's the one they're going to be doing today, where it fades in with that weird, it's almost like a chimey sound, and then there's just that, that really harsh, dissonant guitar that is in the background, that, and, I mean, it's just, um, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Anyway, Buzz is also going to have copies of the re-released and remastered 10, uh, re-released uh, and remastered by Brendan O'Brien, I think, to give away during the show. So that is, uh, that's coming up today, immediately following this program at 9 Very o'clock. Cool. The 90s at 9. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for today's Top 5. 5. 4. Top 5. Three. I know that we were just talking about this yesterday, but look. 5. There we go. Four, Fantastic. 3. 2. 1. Fire. I believe you. There's always good reason for that. It's because of what we were talking about yesterday. You know? Yesterday, we were we were discussing yesterday someone uh, with whom we used to work who constantly complained that the computer had frozen when clearly this person was just otherwise occupied on the Internet and not paying attention. So Sarah was trying to differentiate herself from that person by noting just now that the computer did, in fact, freeze. I believe you. Rick Emerson knows you're telling the truth. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Tim Riley with today's top five. And occasionally, even the most devout music fans can be forgiven for thinking that a particular recording, album, or performance is something altogether inaccurate. Or even in the world of music, which seems distinct, is often easily mimicked. 
These are the top five songs. You swear we're done by somebody else. These are the top five songs that you would hear, and if you did not know better, you'd say to yourself, by God, is that the, is that, that one band? And then they'd say, no, 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 that's that other band. And you'd say, I thought it was the one band. And they'd say, no, 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 the other band. And then you say, by golly, here's Tim Riley. Honorable mention, Steelers Wheel, second the middle with you. And this, of course, sounds exactly like anyone, Bueller. Oh, come on. Really? Don't get late in the program. You had to play this song like a billion I times as a DJ, didn't you? Sure did. Oh, that's something weird in my headphones. I'll take Dylan, comma, Bob. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. If you didn't know better, like if I if I told you this was a Dylan song from like 1975, you'd believe it. Yeah. I mean, he does I, sound a lot like him. He really does. And I know that everybody just thinks ear cutting now because of Reservoir Dogs, but... Dylan's back in the news, too, because he has a smelly outhouse in Malibu, and the neighbors have complained. <laughs> I like nighttime sea breezes sent the noxious odor from the portable toilet into neighbors' homes. I like the idea he's living in Malibu, but he's still got... He's still basically pooping in a box. He's ignoring their complaints, and they're getting upset. Well, he's... Try to keep his street cred. And the toilets are for the in, the indoor, indoor plumbing is for the, uh, that's, that's, that's for the bourgeois. It's a great song, though. I mean, it's a great song, except that it's, you know, it's one of those things that it just sounds, it's like that guy from Gaslight Anthem. And I like that band a lot, but he has that song, Here's Looking at Your Kid, or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. You tell Alice if she calls, which is a great song. I love that song. God damn, it sounds like Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the level of distraction sometimes. I almost feel bad for that guy. These are the top five songs you'd swear were by somebody else. Number five, Joshua Catterson with Jesse. I'll take 1993 for the win. Sarah, you know Joshua Catterson, don't you? You would have been like 13 when this came yes, out. I think, yeah, this is... Prime Weeping by the Radio. Songs that I love. All right, this, of course, sounds exactly like Elton John. Uh, again, to the... Oh, I thought we were going to guess. Well, guess it's Elton John. Okay, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like your song, specifically. Yeah. And whoever heard his voice, I mean, it is like simultaneously the best and worst thing they could have done to give him a piano-based arrangement, because that just underscores the fact that he sounds just like Elton John. Great song, though. He also has a little tiny uh, lyrical trick that he does here that sounds a lot like Elton John because he refers at one point to the cat they own together and the cat's name is Moses, which is exactly the sort of thing that Elton John would have done, like in the sort of uh, can you know the Captain Fantastic era. Big hook. Great song, but wow, Reginald Dwight and double tracking his vocals too. Top five songs you would swear were by somebody else. Tim? Number four, America with a horse with no name. Boy, I hate this song. I hate this song with everything in me. The blandness of the 70s. (laughs) Welcome to Pablum 105. Oh, you hit the post. That's what I do, Tim. Even with songs that aren't any good, I can... All right, this sounds like who? Uh, Cat Stevens. Oh, see, good one. I had thought that. I said that, too. I was going Neil Young. Oh, Neil oh Young yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like if he was even blander. And Neil Young's pretty bland to begin with. Let's not have any illusions about that, baby boomers. All right, I'm done. I can't listen anymore. Mm-hmm. These are the top five songs you'd swear were by somebody else. Zabity Carpuckle is number three with a simple desultory filthy. 
I'm sorry. I should have given you a phonetic. <laughs> what? The name of this in the show. Here's the thing. The song title gives away who this sounds like. The name of the song is a simple desultory philippic, and then per- that was pretty close. and then it says parenthetically or how I was Robert McNamara into submission. End parentheses. This one's real shameless. This one's an unbelievable ripoff. I don't remember this at all. It's on Parsley Sage Rosemary and Time. Hook. Anyone? I've been rolling stone and beat up, and I'm blind. Sarah's really disappointing me. I know, I'm not. It's weird to hear this in stereo. That's what's distracting me, too. I'm used to mono. Yeah. <laughs> Is this Bob Dylan again? Totally Bob Dylan. Okay. I mean, even the arrangement. Think, yeah. It's totally that subterranean homesick blues thing. I'm used to hearing it pulls around mono. I'm used to hearing it in Q sound. These are the top five songs you'd swear were done by somebody else. Number two, Kingdom Come with Get It On. Kingdom Clone. That's what they were called back in my day. I mean, right there. That's uh See, that's also pretty good, actually. That O. I could almost see that, and the guitar tone is a little bit Aussie. Right here. Right, the vocals coming up here. Any moment on Rock and Roll K UFO. It's oh. like it's like they went to sleep every night Led listening to Led Zeppelin yeah. records. Yes, exactly. And then claimed, by the way, the guys in the band claimed they'd never really heard any Zeppelin before they became a band. All right. These are the top five songs you would swear were done by somebody else. Number one, Tim. Now, Holly is a long, cool woman in a black dress. All right, Tim. Survey says this sounds exactly like. Let me think. The vocal effect will tell you. It's only like a two minute long song, too. As soon as you hear the vocal, it'll give it all away. Exactly. I mean, which is so weird because nothing else by the Hollies sounds anything like this. It was just like, you know, baby need a hit. Baby need a hit bad. Well, they did all that pop 60 stuff before that. No, they do bus stop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Top five songs that sound like they were done by somebody else. On the other side, news with Tim Riley and Tommy Lee. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 and KUFO.